On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Zach Small of Amigo Frameworks in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back to the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, where each week I get on the phone and I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world. And this week, it's my very good friend, Zach Small of Amigo Frameworks in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Zach has been interested in and doing bike frame building related things for about a decade now. He's about my age. And, uh, you know, in addition to having these titans of industry that I've been blessed to have as guests on this show, I also would like to have uh, sort of some of the younger folks who are kind of in the middle of figuring it out, finding their way, definitely doing it. Uh, but, you know, along their, their journey, I think that some of my favorite podcasts take that sort of format. And so anyway, uh, he worked with Joe Balsam doing bike paint in San Diego when he was younger. And uh, Rob Roberson was a frame builder out there who, who kind of showed him some ropes early on. Also, he worked in Brian Bayless's shop with Rob some. So that's all really cool connections that he made and worked there. Then he was in Chicago for a long time, did some frame building. There's some other frame builders in that city that he knows and has worked with, uh, Comrade Cycles folks. And there's a sort of a collective workspace called Bubbly Dynamics where they have some frame building stuff. We talked about that, the history of that and his involvement with that, which is a cool space that I had actually toured once about 10 years ago. And then he moved to Nashville more recently and um, he's been doing Amigo Frameworks, which is very cool and making some like slingshots and different things. We talk about his experience at trade school doing metalwork stuff uh, and how that applies to his bikes. He's got a project, uh, called, he's got a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> he's got a project called Champ Ramps, which is very cool making like skate and, and bike ramps. Um, it's a very cool project. I'm excited uh, to see that come together. We talked about that some. And then uh, recently he's gotten this opportunity to work with another guy who's trying to start a titanium uh, bike company in his area in Nashville. And that's like a really cool opportunity uh, that Zach gets to, yeah, that's like his sort of day job right now. So we talked about that some. Um, anyway, Zach's a cool guy. I wanted to share his story with everybody and um, hope you enjoy it as much as I did. By the time I got in, to like an interest into frame building. Um, I had already worked at a bike shop at that point for uh, four years. So yeah, I had, I had worked at this shop since I was like 14. Um, and by the time I was 18, you know, I, you know, I've been there for quite a while and been riding bikes and, um, we sold Pegaretti's, uh, out of that shop. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, my boss actually had Dario fly out and fit him to a bike and, uh, build him a custom bike with this. Uh, I can't, I can't remember what he calls his like custom paint jobs. Um, this was in, but he, yeah, he's got it. He, you were in California ahead. somewhere at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So this is in San Diego. I worked mm -hmm. at a shop called mission Hills bikes. Um, it was, uh, it was a fun time. <laughs> uh, I spent, I feel like way too much time there. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I was, a I was an avid rider and, you know, working at a shop allowed me to get parts cause, uh, I was also, you know, a hood, 
hood rat kid that did not have any money. So yeah, uh, it was kind of a win-win for me. But yeah, um, Dario and and seeing these Pegaretti bikes, I was like, oh man, like it just kind of clicked. I was like, whoa, like people like do this like it's not just like a factory in in taiwan or something you know like i, I knew mm-hmm. bikes were probably built by hand not by robots but i never really like conceptualized like this idea that like oh there's like guys that just like yeah they just get tubes and they like they stick them together you know mm-hmm. and uh i mean i'd always been into making things like at that point i had like made my own guitar you know i you know you know, I couldn't afford a lot of nice stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I can't afford a nice guitar. My uncle works at Carvin. Um, oh, that's you know, I got, yeah, I got in with him. I'll run a bandsaw and do some, you know, sweat equity and like kind of learn how to do this on my own. Like, cool. Now I'm going to the store and like, you know, buying some, some poplar and, you know, bandsawing out my own. Well, I actually was probably reciprocating uh, handsaw uh-huh. to, you know, kind of cut out and then shape a guitar body. And I was like, man, I can make this. And I mean, this was kind of at the like rise of, you know, like I, I feel like people our age, uh, you know, we had it. YouTube wasn't a, really a big thing yet. I mean, I remember when YouTube was like a beta thing. And it was just like for people to like make dancing videos, you know, it, you know it's not what it is now. You know, I remember Oof. the first time I ever saw YouTube, somebody was like, you got to see this music video. And it was Dragon Force. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is, oh yeah, this is great. But also I was thinking there's a search engine for video that just everything is on. And it was a revelation. Yeah. It changed. I mean, YouTube really has transformed. I think our generation and me personally, especially, I spent a huge amount of time on YouTube. It's 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 a uh, it's one of the best things of our time. Oh, dude, yeah. And I still, you know, like I remember those early days of YouTube, where it's like, yeah, you're you're cranking, you know, fifteen beers with your friends, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, like midnight, you're like, oh, check out this funny video, you know, like, it's just, uh, it, it, it's evolved from that to now this, like, thing where, like, I go on, it's like, if I got a machining question, there's, like, some old guy that's, like, yeah, you know, got, got you know, he's, like, practically retired as time, you know, mm-hmm. to, like, show these, like, I feel like skills that are, like, yeah. kind of uh, going away, and it, it's cool that there's a medium now that, that allows for that, but, you know, forums were you know a a thing that i was like super into i was like super nerdy forum kid um i didn't have a lot of friends so (laughs) you know i was alone a lot uh and you know the internet was uh you know my dad so (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately um yeah and so you know like yeah I, i kind of like figured out like oh yeah like you can just, you can like search something and you can kind of like figure out how to make stuff, uh, without having to like go through like more traditional means that I didn't necessarily have access to. And, um, you know, and I had, you know, there was some cool teachers I had that like, you know, there was like an engineering class at my, the charter school that I, I went to. And, and so it's like, you know, the teacher there was like, super cool and super influential and like he was an industrial designer by trade and was like a guy that kind of was like pushing me into like oh dude like you're really good at making things like you should you should look into this you know 
Um, but really it was, it was, you know, seeing these Pegarettis and then also at the time just seeing like, uh, I was like, I got super obsessed with Rick Hunter. Um, mm-hmm. I just, his, his bikes are badass. And yeah, the, the bike I saw that I was like, it, that really made me want to make a bike was his, like, it was like a folding cycle truck, like a Pajero. It was like called a Pajero or something like that. Anyway, uh, it, it was just like a folding utility cycle truck. And I was all like, Oh, that's badass, You know? Cause like I didn't have a car, mm-hmm. you know, I, I rode my bicycle everywhere and I was like, man, I could like do groceries with that. Like, Oh, and it, it like folds up and like, I would, you know, I, any money I saved up, I just used to like travel somewhere. So I was like, Oh, I could like fit that in a suitcase. Like, Oh, that's killer. Like I was like, well, can't afford one. So yeah, how hard could it be? There's guys doing this in their backyards, you know? Mm-hmm. So I bought a tube set and, uh, and then it, it kind of sat on a shelf. Cause I realized like, Oh yeah, you need like, you need like either welding equipment or like <laughs> an oxy setup, and and then it was like you know, uh, I guess that was still early on like Velocipede forums and stuff, which I still to this day never have had an account. I just like lurk on there constantly yeah. because Same. those old guys are mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever posted after. on MTBR or Velocipede Salon. No, no, there you was catch a... me dead before I do that. There was a years back. Well, now I think it's nobody posts there. It's a it's a like Google groups called like the Frame Builders Google. Yeah. Groups. Oh yeah. But that oh, transitioned yeah. in like 2011 yeah. <laughs> or 2012. It used to be some other I forget what it was called. Some even more antiquated sort of listserv. And uh, that one I was actually I would post on that sometimes like way back early days. Yeah. That one maybe was well, as mean spirited, but it was still it's like you know there just weren't <laughs> we didn't have these other avenues. They weren't as developed yet, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and I think like uh, and, and and not to say that like yeah, there's uh, I understand the grouchiness, but like you know it's like if I ever had a question on there, I felt like I could. Uh, well, I'm you know use the search bar, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I figured I could usually find the answer to whatever question I was going to pose by researching, yeah. um, you know, yeah. without having to embarrassingly have somebody like, you know, bus drive you be like, Oh, come on, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if you're everybody's... asking that question, you shouldn't even be building building a bicycle. This uh-huh. is, that's it's like the same. You know, like, it's the same ten <laughs> questions that come up eighty percent of the time. Like, what's the best hole saw? Yeah. Like people are always trying to. They, yeah. they have a they have a not rigid setup and they need a hole saw with more teeth or they think that the hole saw yeah. itself is the solution and they're trying to figure that one granular piece out without ever having searched. Yeah, rate my rate my braises. Yeah, looks uh-huh. like shit. Keep practicing. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of, kind of where I got, got the first kind of look at, into like, oh, custom building. And I think there was also, you know, Megan Dean had built like a Rita track bike, and I was racing on the velodrome at the time. Mm-hmm. And I saw that bike and I was all like, uh, I, I was like infatuated by like big two bikes at the time. I still kind of am. Um, tonic fab was another dude that I was like, I was like, dude, that is, a, that's what a 
bicycle in my head looks like. I'm like, that is mean looking, you know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't like a, you know, cause like the shop I was in was like a road shop and like, you know, like the owner was like obsessed with like old Italian, like lug stuff. And it was just, you know, I like that stuff. I, I really appreciate it, but it, it just never like got my, like my temperature rising. Like I did when I, when I first saw some of those like hunter bikes and, and tonics and, yeah. Uh, moth attacks. I was like, whoa. And, and I think also like the thing with like the moth attack, you know, it, it was like, I, I think early when she was starting and, and that was kind of this thing where it was like this new crop of like frame builders popping up where it was like, oh, whoa, like this is a thing like people are doing, like this is super cool. And I was like young, but it was like, oh man, this is, this is badass. Like you could, you could be a frame builder. Like you build bicycles for a living. That's fucking cool. Bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, but hindsight 2020. (laughs) So when was Uh, it that you finally got a torch in your hand and put the first one together? What did it take for that to happen? uh, So I started like, uh, there was this dude, Richie Ditta, uh, who's like, he was like in one of the like uh first like mash videos he's like this old school uh messenger dude from new york you know uh super thick like new york accent um he owned a he owned a shop and had built like one frame so i was like oh i know this i know one guy in like the bike shop community that like in san diego which like mind you, if you know about San Diego and you know about frame building culture, it's like a Mecca. Like I had no idea, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, you know, I was just like, Oh, okay, this guy. Okay. I'll go over to him. And like, he had a Patrick manual and he was like, here's a Patrick manual. Here's like, I, here's some drawing paper. Like I'm not going to use it anytime soon. I'm busy running a bike shop right now. Like, but any questions you have, like, let me know, you know? And I was like, cool. Okay. Like, so I got a Patrick manual. I started kind of like drawing up what I wanted. Uh, and like, I then was like, okay, like reading that, I was like, I need the oxycetylene torch. And, you know, did some like Craigslist in and like got myself a torch uh, set up from like, you know, some dude that was definitely trying to score <laughs> and selling his dad's equipment out of his garage. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do vividly remember cause I didn't have a car, so I had to have a friend drive me out to East County, which like East County, San Diego, so, you know, like, uh, you know, meth capital of the world. <laughs> and there's this kid just being like, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's, it's a cool tank, you know, like, uh, I don't use it anymore. You know, it was just like, uh, okay, well I'm no questions asked, but like, here's a hundred bucks, you know? So I got like a tank set up and it had like a really, it did not have a proper torch, you know, like it had like, there was like a cutting torch and there was like just this super huge, like, um, just a super huge torch on it. And I was like, this isn't, you know, like I I was trying to like watch anything that I can find or like any kind of images I could find of people brazing and like trying to figure it out. And, uh, it was just, oh man, it was just so hard. And it was just kind of like, I was like, well, this isn't working out. And I, I, I kind of shelved it. I was like, well, not, not doing this, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I can't figure this thing out. Like I just was like burning through tubes and stuff. And it just was like, I don't, how the hell did people do this? You know? Um, 
And then I, so I, I ended up, uh, getting connected with Joe Bell in his paint shop. And basically I met Rob Robertson who used to work at, at, uh, Mozzie and then Ibis and then Hooker headers. And it, it took some convincing, but like he finally like showed me how to braze. And then we, we built a frame out of Brian Bayless's shop together. And, um, you know, he kind of showed me how to, how to build, build a bicycle. And so that's, that's kind of like the first, the first one. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And at the time I was, uh, 19, 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20. Long time ago. And that's still in San <laughs> now, Diego. Feels like a long time ago. That was still in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And actually like, so it was like one of, you know, if I have any talent, um, you know, I think my, my best talent is like making these weird random connections with people, uh, Mm -hmm. and just kind of like networking in a way. I think you Uh, are good at that. In the time that I've known you, you're always telling me about like these serendipitous connections you make with this person or that person. And then cool stuff comes of it a lot of times. And uh, it's it's a very valuable life skill. I I like old people. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, me too. I think it's because like, (laughs) I think it's because, uh, uh, like I was, I, I was, a, I was a serious loner, um, you know, as a, as a younger guy and, you know, uh, most of my friends are like 10 to 15 years older than I am. And that's just like from working at the bike shop. Um, I kind of, the way, the way like high school kind of worked for me, like I, at first, was going to a school that was in like the north suburbs we would use my like stepdad's mom's address so i could go to this better school right but i lived in like a super shitty neighborhood and like none of the kids i went to high school with could go hang out with me like their parents would be like he lives where like no like uh, oh not happening you know and i didn't go to the school in my neighborhood. So I didn't know any of the neighborhood kids. And like, it was rough, man. Like, you know, it was like me and my two younger brothers were like, well, we were like the only white kids in the neighborhood, uh, like very strong, like Latino culture. And it's like, it's not our culture. You know, we're just like, you know, I didn't know anybody in the neighborhood and anybody I did know, like, you know, the few friends I did maybe make like would often have to like move or leave. Cause like, well, it was like the neighborhood was changing. So, <laughs> you know, my parents had got lucky to like, well, look, I don't know how you look at it lucky, but they bought a house there and uh, during like pre market crash, you know, and it was like a very predatory kind of loan. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my parents buy this house, marriage starts to fall apart. I don't have any friends at school, you know, cause like I, like on the weekend, like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't got a car. Um, I did have a bike and I would like, I, you know, the couple of other friends I had from like the high school, I would like ride up to university city, which was like, dude, it's like, I don't know if you've been to San Diego. We, like, we got mountains, dude. Like you're climbing and it's awesome. like, it is hilly, but it's like you, you drop down into the valley and like you got to climb out of it. You know, 
so like I did like tons of riding and it would be like, you know, I think it's like 15, 20 miles to get up to like university city, La Jolla area. So it's like round trip. I'd be doing like 40 miles just to go see some friends, Mm -hmm. you know? So like often I just, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really hang out with anybody. So like when I worked at the bike shop, it was like, my friends were these guys I worked with, but like, they didn't want anything to do with like a 16 year old kid, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. they're like after work, they're trying to get drunk and like, you know, hang out and party. And it's like, here's this like weird kid that doesn't have any friends kind of latching on. And, uh, you know, they, I, I will say like, they, they saved me. They like took me under their wing and, you know, a lot of these people, uh, were really, really good to me when they didn't have to be. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, riding a bicycle allowed me to kind of escape in a way. Uh, yeah. Just from like a, you know, a, a fucked up life. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, and, and without it having gave me a car, outlet. the distance that you can cover yeah. and then the the social sort of connections that you can make with people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, it was like, uh, yeah. And then I changed, and it's funny thing is I, I changed high school to a closer one. So then it was like, Oh, okay. Like now I can ride my bike to school. Like, and it was like, I was the kid at school that rode his bike to school. But then it was like, wow, now I'm like <laughs> here. Now, now I'm like trying to like make new friends at a school where like, you know, now I don't know even anybody. Uh, <laughs> but and, yeah. It, and you have the disadvantage of riding a bike. <laughs> yeah, no. And at that time, like, look, it, it, so it was a weird time because like, and this is why I was like, my friends are like older than me. It was like, because the neighborhood was changing and you know, it like, who's moving in. Oh, it's these like kind of broke, like down and out hipster kids. Oh, they all ride six gears. Oh, it's like, Oh, they all got tattoos. Like, you know, the, they drink, you know, tall cans of PBR every night. And so it was like, but kids in high school were like, you ride a bike? That's lame as hell. And I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, you guys don't even know. Like, this is the cool shit. This is cool. You know, uh-huh. it took a couple of years, you know, and then finally people were like, oh man, Zach, Zach, was, Zach was a little bit ahead of his time, <laughs> I uh-huh. guess. I don't know. But yeah, it was like, you know, it was like, uh, what am I doing after school? I'm going to go hang out with these like 24 year old like burnouts and like, <laughs> uh, try to get them to buy me beer, uh, and ride my fixed gear around, you know, Dude, that's, that's <laughs> like, the Southern California paradise right there. Oh yeah. 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 In a way, in a way. Was, yeah. Not know. in some ways. Yes. And in other ways, definitely not. And so yeah, I look back on it. I'm like, Oh, where did, Oh, how, how do I have this like nasty alcohol habit? Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's good. You start at fourteen, dumbass. Like, <laughs> so you're interested in frame building. Eventually, you meet yeah. Rob Robertson, and you build a shop, or you build a bike in Brian Bayless's shop, and you get hooked up with Joe Bell, and you're working in the Joe Bell paint yeah. shop too. Yes. Uh, so, and that, that was where my rambling was going to head is making, making connections. Uh, I met John Pucci through a tattoo artist friend. He paints bicycles. He paints all my bicycles mm-hmm. and he had like He's just started cy- at Joe Bell. Pucci. Yeah. Cheechley Pucci. Cheechley. Uh, yes. I think See, I'm, I'm bad at yeah. Italian words. <laughs> oh, we're, 
I, dude, we've kicked it around in our head. I've got my friend uh, Lorenzo uh, Romagnoli. He he goes by Larry Ravioli on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he goes by Larry Ravioli because he moved to Ohio from Italy, and nobody could pronounce That's Lorenzo awesome. Romagnoli. So he was like, "Just call me Larry Ravioli," you know. And like, uh, we've we've wanted to do a video. Like, we've kicked it around. Like, you know, getting drunk. Like, being like, we got to create a YouTube series where this guy like. You know, like I'll say the Italian like bike brand name, you know, and he'll correct it. You know, he'll be like, "How do you say, you know, Chuck, Ch- Choch, you know?" That's it's, awesome. It's Chuck, I guess, you know, or like you know, Pinarello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I met I met John. He had just started at Joe Bell's, and I I like you know just because I'm a I'm a hobby guy and I just love projects. I I was like trying to fix up some stupid little like motorcycles and and i and i needed like a tank sandblast and he's like oh i work at this paint shop uh like we got a sandblaster i'll sandblast it for you you know i was like okay cool he's like just come on down he's like you might have to trade work it's this guy joe bell and i was like oh i've heard of him he paints bikes i heard he's crazy (laughs) (laughs) he's like no he's awesome i'm like you know like my old boss you know who was just like an asshole drunk, you know, would just tell me about all these guys in the industry and he'd be like, Oh, Joe Bell, he's crazy. Like all those painter guys, all these Brian Bayless is crazy. And it's like, I think, I think they just didn't want to deal with him as a customer. So they were like, fuck you, man. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, okay, well, all right, I'll strap in. I'll go meet this, this guy, Joe Bell and uh, see what that's like. And uh, rode my bike out there and, Uncle Joe, man, that that's that's one of the most solid people in my life. That guy is that guy's amazing. That's uh, awesome. And he kind of pretty much was like, "Yeah, I'll 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 sandblast that tank for you, but like you're gonna start stripping bikes, <laughs> you know." <laughs> so then, you know, after I get off at the bike shop or any of the days off I had, I'd ride out there and hang out at Joe Bell's and strip bikes and uh, you know. Learned, learned some of the basics. I never got super into the paint side of things, uh, n- not like John did, um, or then my, my buddy Brian, who, you know, later became kind of, you know, we, we kind of worked together doing paint stuff in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's how I got connected with Joe. And, you know, then it was like, oh, <laughs> there's a hole in the tank, you know, and he's like, oh, we'll give it to Rob. He knows how to braze, you know. And and I was like, oh, he knows how to braze? I have a whole oxyacetylene brazing setup. I got tubes. Like, can you show me how to do that? And he was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, nope, not doing it. Not showing you how to do, like, no. You know, and, and there was, like, another kid there that was, like, trying to learn how to frame build. And I think it was just, it, it was, like, too much stress on Rob. And he was just like. I don't want, like, this guy doesn't get it, you know. And so um, I'm persistent. You know me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to be. Gotta <laughs> I tell be people when they meet me. Yeah, I, I tell people when they meet me, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm fucking annoying. Like, <laughs> we're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I'm going to call you on the phone, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to annoy you uh, just because that's, that's me. Uh, but, uh yeah, no, I ended up, you know, was like, can you show me how to do that? And he's like, no. And so then I was like, okay, well, 
like, just show me kind of how to like fire up the torch. Like, what do I need to look at in a flame? And so he's like, okay, like, this is what you got to look at. And I was like, cool. I was like, I've got a tube set. Will you show me how to build it? And he's like, no, I'm not teaching anybody how to frame build. I was like, okay, fine. So then I'm, I just went home and like, you know, mitered the tubes, you know, like based on some guide. And so I like mitered these tubes and I brought them in and I was all like, I was like, so I mitered these tubes. Like, what do you think about them? Can you just like, give me some tips? And then I think he realized like, you know, he was like, okay, this, it's pretty good. He didn't come empty handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and, that's like the know, number one thing is like, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not letting people think that you're only asking because you want to hear them talk and then you're going to ignore it and do nothing with it. Yeah. And so like, you know, a little grumbling, you know, some, you know, back and forth and Rob was like, okay, I'll, I'll show you how to brace. <laughs> you know? And so like, you know, he showed me how to brace and then I went home and, you know, I was like, wow. Okay. So I, I can use this oxygen torch. Like, all right. You know? And so I started like, raising some stuff and then I brought it back to him and I mean he was like okay like yeah we'll take you over to Brian's shop because uh, that's where Rob's uh, fixture was and he was like we'll we'll build the frame out of his shop and so you know got to spend time with Brian Bayless you know rest in peace uh, and you know uh, hang out with those crazy old guys <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That's a that's a really special experience where I was interested in frame building in the relative middle of nowhere, and I think I'm mm-hmm. getting to be pretty good at networking in a certain kind of way, but um, I don't think I ever was when I was younger, and so I just didn't have those kinds of connections. I wasn't living in the places where those people were, and uh, that's awesome. Like the, to be that to be respectfully persistent and to make those connections that help you just kind of move forward and get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know, it's opened other doors for me, uh, you know, cause you, you know, like Brian Bayless and Rob are like real respected people. And like, you know, any guy that's like older and like into like custom bikes, they might also be into custom motorcycles or cars. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I know Brian Bayless and they'd be like, Oh shit. Okay, cool. So you're okay. You're legit. Like, here, come check out my motorcycle collection. And it's like, man, I've met some, some weird old dudes because of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's cool, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really important too. Like, I mean, like Rob is, Rob is old and, and Brian was old when I met him. And, and unfortunately I think he passed very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could have had a lot more, you know, years on his life if he had treated himself better. Um, but it's like, man, yeah, like these are, e- even though I'm not, you know, into like that kind of like ornate lug building, like I, I think it's important to like try and learn these things from people. And, and, yeah. you know, it, it's hard. Like I, I won't, I won't lie. Like back to like the whole velocipede, Google, Google, uh, list, you know, grouch old guy frame builder. It's like, yeah, there's a stereotype there, but like, I feel like if you kind of show that, like you're serious about it and you're, you don't come empty handed, like, yeah, they, they respect that, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I think it's like our duty to kind of like learn 
Yeah, you can't let them take that stuff masters. to the grave. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Or, I mean, uh, not yeah. to toot my own horn, but like to the extent that this podcast has gotten some stories out of some of these more industry veteran people, you know, like Steve Belinke and Chris Chance and all these folks, and yeah. um, uh, and not just my podcast, anyone who can who can like gather some of that information for themselves and pass it on to others, or if they you know document it any any which way. Or Anna Schwinn did some really great interviews at different points, and so have other people with <laughs> uh, bike industry people. I just think it's important to like capture this stuff while it's still here and document it and put it down so other people can like find it and share it and access it later. Cause uh, oh, absolutely. there's just so many smart, talented people and um, you know, like we can't let all this information die with them. You know, not that everybody yeah. is about to, but like someday all of us will. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you've heard, you've heard me say it before. It's like, I, I don't, I don't own this knowledge. So I'm like, anytime people ask me questions via Instagram, you know, like, actually, I have a bunch of videos I got to send to Alan Varco for, um, you know, Philip Brazing techniques and that kind of thing. Awesome. It's like, I don't own this knowledge. Like, yeah. I didn't come, I didn't come up with this on my own. I've, I feel like I've picked up some tricks of my own and, 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 you know, made it work for me and maybe that'll help you. But it's like, I was taught this by somebody else. And so it's like, you know, I want to, I want to spread that, that information as much as possible. Yeah. So I want to do a YouTube video about fillet brazing because I can fillet braise. I think at my best, like five years ago, I was decent at it, but like, I'm no Steve Belinke. I'm not fast. I probably don't have the best, you know, uh, heat characteristic into the tube at the end of the day. I don't have the best shaping. And so it'd be cool to have somebody with a lot more wizardry do that sort of thing. But if you go to YouTube and you search for like fillet brazing, you know, bike fillet brazing technique videos, there's very little, uh, there's almost none. And yeah. so, you know, just had, to have something up morning, there would be cool. This morning I watched Paul Brody just like put one up. He just like kind of, Oh like, yeah, he oh, did. Yeah. Fillet brazing technique. Yeah. yeah, See, yeah now, maybe I, like, I don't oh, need okay, to because cool. Paul's, Paul's the master. So yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, thank he, you Paul so much got, for that video series. I wish that existed yeah. 10 years ago. That would have changed my world. Oh yeah, no, it would have like there. There's so many like little tricks. Like I, I mean, it's like, well, I'm gonna watch this guy's celebrating videos. Like, like I, I, I found something that's worked for me. Like, I want to see if I can pick something up. You know, like sure. it's it, it's mostly a video of like uh, practice techniques. Which uh, you know, man, I, I could never, you know, in the, the early days, I couldn't afford to just keep buying tube set. So I mean, I really just I would just practice on any scrap. Yeah. as much as I could just to keep a torch in my hand always. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's important. I, Scrap tubing and oxyacetylene and um, the flux, the, those things are not very expensive and you don't need a very big or sophisticated yeah. shop. You don't need a frame fixture. I did a bunch of practice between when I took my frame building class and when I had my own shop and I was in college, I had an independent study in an art studio, sculpture studio in college. And so I did a lot of brazing practice. It's really like, it's more complicated to have the machinery and the fixturing to make whole complete bikes, the cost of them, putting parts oh, on totally. them, paint, <laughs> maybe insurance. If you're, you know, trying to cover your ass, make a website, go to trade shows. But if you're just trying to practice the groundwork techniques, that's pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've spent the last 10 years trying to get all the, all the things to, to build a bicycle frame where it's yeah. like, well, I know, think really you're, it's you're like, doing it though now, but it takes a while to like, I'm doing it. Yeah. It. <laughs> you're making yeah. awesome stuff and you have the, the skills and the experience to, to actually make it happen. 
Thank you. Yeah, so you make your first bike under the wing of Rob. It's Roberson? Oh, Roberson. I'm, I don't know. I think he pronounces Robertson. it Roberson, Rob Roberson. Cool. Yeah. And uh, best best unknown known frame builder. Yeah, see, like, that's the thing. You're talking about him all the time, and uh, and I know him mostly only through you. And I think it's a problem in the frame building world that um, the people who are a little bit better at marketing are the ones that everybody knows. So if you pay for booth space yeah. at a trade show, if you had a Flickr account, if you have an active Instagram account, if you maybe build bikes and they get on the Radivist or something like any of these places where people actually see it. And then of course there's like lots of other people who are quietly doing great work and they're just not as well known because they don't, you just don't hear about them. And, um, you know, you will, if you're around in the industry enough, you talk to enough people, you'll get to know most of the cats, but, uh, he's yeah, some, I mean, he's someone so, I've never heard I mean, much about. here's the thing, Rob, doesn't even give a shit about all that yeah. <laughs> you know well, exactly. like he's never actively tried to market you know like himself or anything like he doesn't want to you yeah. know like he's got a business card it doesn't even have a phone number on it <laughs> you know like so you know he's living he's living his like frame building career is like the closest thing to like like a modern maybe aesthetic could be like i think when i met him and and i i don't know if this story's like perfect um but I, i'm pretty sure he was like living in a in a home that was like foreclosed and like didn't even have like running water there so like he was you know like hanging out at, at you know he's like shower at joe's you know and like you know ride bikes and then he he would build when the sun was up you know at, at his like little backyard shop <laughs> you know which is like man it like he's just living super simply you know mm -hmm. like kind of living like a hobo and just like, I remember, you know, me and John, I mean, we still talk about it. We're just like, man, Rob is like a cowboy. He's just like one of the coolest. <laughs> he just doesn't care. You know, like, he's just like, yeah, man, I like to do what I do and I'm fucking good at it. And like, I don't care what other people think. And I'm going to keep making these just amazing pieces, uh, uh, out of metal, you know? Yeah, and, awesome. uh, you know, he's just like, mostly self-taught uh you know i think he went to like grossmont college which had like a metal shop program and and has like an associate there but like yeah i mean the dude's a the dude is like a literal literal wizard um i actually own i own one of his bikes i you know after after bayless passed i was like you know i, I kind of always wanted a bayless bike or, or a bayless knife honestly was i was mm -hmm. like well my pockets aren't really bayless lines so <laughs> <laughs> how about a how about a custom knife you know with a so a, a deck of card to you know carved on the side that's cool um but yeah after after bayless passed i was like man i, I want a robertson like rob taught me how to build frames i want one of his bikes you know he's hand carves all his lugs you know he makes his own lugs i mean it's the level of detail that he does it, it's it's remarkable and and for somebody that's like yeah i mean if he if he got a booth at nabs i mean he would win he would win best luck frame like guaranteed mm. like if i brought my bike you know like i thought about it i thought about just getting a booth for him he's like you don't need to do that man i was like no i just I want one of your frames to fucking have a ribbon on it, man. Cause like this bike you built me, dude, it took him like a year to make. It is crazy. The yeah. level of detail. 
I'll send you photos of it. It's, I've seen a couple, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'll put them. <laughs> I'll put them in the Instagram post for this so other people can see it too. Well, yeah, like he's like one of these guys that's just like you know he's 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 unknown uh, unless you're like a total nerd, which I'm a total nerd. Mm-hmm. And you just uh, happen to be you know, in that part of San Diego too. Yeah, yeah. If you, it, I mean, it really like San Diego really was like a mecca for cycling in the seventies and eighties. I mean, the Mozzie Mozzie's factory was like in North County, and you know we just have this like extremely rich history of custom frame builders being here and like the that American like you know frame building movement. I think definitely San Diego uh, and parts of LA are you know, are, are definitely like one of the epicenters, you know, like I think you've got, you know, like East coast, there's like a, you know, a family tree of builders that kind of came out, came out of the East coast and then uh, Portland and that kind of thing. And a little bit in the Bay area with, uh, Eisentrout, um, but Eisentrout also worked in Mozzie. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you have Schwinn too, you know, yeah. uh, and the Midwest, but yeah, I mean, there were just so many, like just, some of the best and most badass bikes in in the states were coming out of coming out of San Diego, um, and you know like Bill Holland is a guy you know titanium builder that started in steel, mastered steel, and 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 now it's been building you know titanium, and now he's even doing like carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually right next door to Joe Bell. Um, he had his like showroom there, <laughs> so you know I got to you know it's like. Yeah, like Joe Bell's shop is like crazy. It's like this guy's like, you know, got, you know, his friends with like world class frame builders like Bayless and Robertson, like has, you know, all, you know, awards up the wazoo, goes to NABs, you know, walks around like a celebrity because he's like painted half the bikes that are more than half the bikes really like that are winning the show. And, uh, and then you got like Bill Holland who's just like, you know, crazy tie builder and, you know, like a pioneer in that. Um, right next door you know it's just like, <laughs> i kind of look back and i'm like man i should have stayed in san diego i could i could be like working for bill holland right now <laughs> <laughs> i probably would have gone like leaps and bounds in, in in the frame building career um if i had if i had stayed but i didn't and i also you know i had rob you know after the first frame rob and bayless were both like not don't make this a thing. Like, you know, like don't <laughs> think you're going to make a career out of this. Okay. <laughs> you know, idea. Joe would say to like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. Uh-huh. They're, they're sort of right. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I always, it's hard. I always want to, on the one hand, I think getting into bike frame building, being interested in that and having that guide my, you know, like passion and direct has been very good for me. The places that's taken me, it's been very satisfying. The people I've met, the things I've learned. And now this sort of business trajectory I'm on is really good. And I wouldn't be here if I didn't start first with, you know, trying to build bike frames. Cause I didn't know anything about manufacturing. I didn't know that I liked it and I found yeah. that through bikes. And so it's been good. And, uh, and there are people who love what they do and love the lifestyle they lead in the bike industry. But I think there are just so many examples of the bike industry just kicking people in the in the pants over and over again, and you either get you either get out of it like this, you know, this the the smart thing to do for a lot of people, or you know you're stubborn enough to stick with it. And I forget, I think it was um, 
maybe Mike DeSalvo or somebody I was talking to on this show was saying, no, I don't remember who it was. Somebody once was saying something like, you get, you get to a certain point where it's like, you have so much more experience in the bike industry and doing what you do than you have with anything else. And so even though it doesn't like pay that well and it can be exhausting or difficult, it's like you'd be starting at zero if you left. And you know, now that you get older, it's, it's, it's just a, a challenge. So it's, it's kind of funny when people are talking about getting into it, like part of me wants to be real and be like, man, it's tough. And then the other part of me is like, no, you should do it. It's, it's so awesome. Like you, it, it's tough. You know, it's kind of hard to make a blanket statement because it's kind of what you make of it. Yeah. I mean, I would, uh, like I would say like, maybe don't make a business out of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, Unless, that's really, I think what's tough, but I think, man, yeah. like if you're trying to get into like, you know, like manufacturing or like you want to get into metal work, it's like, dude, cycling and, and bicycling is so cool because it's like, dude, you're, you're going to make this like very like tangible item that you can, you know, you can ride after you're done like yeah. making it. And, and it's hard. And the skills you'll learn making a good one, like are totally skills that translate to like so many other industries, Yeah, you know? Yeah, for Especially sure. if you start by TIG welding. I, I will preface that. I wish instead of a, an oxyacetylene torch, I had started with, with the TIG welder, <laughs> you know, like just skip, skip you know, I, I feel like brazing's cool. It's necessary. Like if you're building steel frames, there's still going to be parts you'll want to braze, but like, man, if, if you're good at TIG welding, like you're going to get, you're going to be okay at fillet brazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. It's just practicing to, to, to do mostly TIG. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the business equation of it, I think the people who are really actually truly successful with the business of frame building, it's because they have the desire and the capacity to take the business part of it seriously. And I think it, yeah. it's a hard enough thing to make money on period, but a lot of us come to it specifically not for business reasons just because it's romantic and it, mm -hmm. it, like it's satisfying to make yeah. something that we love <laughs> and it's like if you don't focus heavily on making the business equation work it absolutely won't like it, it it's not a meritocracy no. where like the strength of your good work alone is going to help you succeed it's like no you need to actually come head on with these questions of marketing and differentiation and and like you know the amount of time that you can put into a frame managing your overhead talking to customers managing all the information all the people who i see doing it well like they do those things yeah it's a, it's a lot yeah and it's just <laughs> it's that's not time. the fun of it for most people it's like that's not why they got into it so i think if if your aspiration is to do it as a business and a career you just have to like reconcile that pretty early on and say like okay i guess yeah. i'm gonna do these things i'm gonna address these things or it's just gonna be a freaking awesome awesome detour or hobby and i'm gonna love it and um yeah, I think it's I think it's tough when you want to casually try and make a living doing it. Yeah, and I I mean I've never really made a living doing it. You know, uh, this would be like because of COVID and like losing like all of my part time jobs. Um, you know, I've had to like completely rely on it, and you know, this is it. You know, this, this last two years have been really been the first time that I like felt like I even understood to take the business seriously because yeah, before it was like, it was just like, well, I got messenger, but bike messenger buddies that like want to want to frame. Sure. I'll build you one. And, and that's kind of where the name comes from, you know, Amigo. It's like, 
yeah, you're my friend. You're my amigo. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'll build your frame. Like, and if we aren't really good friends, like, well, uh, dealing with me at the end of the day, like we'll probably be friends. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you didn't uh, name your bike it, company after the scooters? Uh, you know, when I broke my hip when I was 24, I had to ride oh. an Amigo around the grocery store. And I was thinking like, yes, yes. well, like, I'm not the kind of jerk who's just going to sit down on one of these, pretend to be, you know, <laughs> impaired and then make an ass of myself. But I actually kind of needed it to get around the store. Well, turns out they top out at like 1.1 miles per hour and you cannot have any fun on them if you want to there. So yeah. I, here I was I've thinking taken, that you named your bike brand after the most boring thing on wheels, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I didn't, you know, Jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, like I explained, it's like, you're my, you're my, my friend, my amigo, like that was also just something, you know, like growing up where I did like, uh, you know, that's that's what i was called you know like hey, amigo you know yeah. <laughs> beat uh beats calling it like uh pinche widow <laughs> uh you know what that means i, I, I do not know, know. Do, but uh it means like like fucking blondie yeah like <laughs> I don't know, it, it's something you know i'm you know i'm a gringo so <laughs> you know so i'm not here walking around the neighborhood and be like you know what are you doing here it's like well actually i, I live in this neighborhood and um yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, I don't know. It, it, it harkens back to just like, you know, where I'm from. Like, you know, like, yeah. I feel like my, the logo that I, that I have, uh, you know, is like designed after like my favorite, like hole in the wall taco spot that was like around the corner from me. Like I love like hand painted, uh, you know, car auto garage signs and stuff like that. And that's, yeah, you know, kind of where I've like gathered my, my like inspiration for, you know, cause I also love paint, you know, like I think, you know, like flashy paint job really, really does make a bike. It really does. Yeah. You know, in some ways differentiate your bicycle. I mean, I do actively try to like make my bikes. Like if you stripped the paint off, could you tell it was mine? You mm. know, I, I think that's just super important, you know, cause like, Otherwise, like, who's to say it's just like a surlier in all city, you know? And, and and there's nothing wrong with those bikes, like, you know. Yeah. I think for most people, it's like, yeah, buy buy a surly, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're just you're just paying like extra for you know aesthetics, really. Yeah. In paint, my mind, paint um, is a big deal though because it's expressive and it's fun and it makes it unique and. Uh, that can't be understated. You know, what we're doing is, uh, you know, we're making bikes and we'd like them to, to be on the, the cutting edge of design and geometry and fit and performance. And they should be those things to the extent that, you know, like they should nail, they should hit the mark. But the paint is a whole different department that is just badass and special. And we can do that in the custom world. And it's part of how we yeah. make what we do more special. Yeah. And, and I mean, I like it's so it, I feel like that's like one of the hardest equations too. like, um, just business wise. It's like, um, you know, what do I, I, I won't sell a I won't sell a raw frame to somebody. Like I, it just, the, the couple of times I've done it, I've just been like, 
I, I never felt easy about it because like, well, I got uncle Joe in my head being like, dude, that thing's going to rust. Like, you know, or like somebody, you know, clear coats it. And there, there are like powder clears now that that'll like, you know, inhibit rust. But like, if you just like clear coat wet, it's like, yeah, you're just going to watch spider webs kind of form under the paint, you know? And, and I've just like, I've given bikes to people where it's like, you know, or I've gone to shitty powder coaters that like, don't like, I was using this powder coater in the South side of Chicago that like, it was 40 bucks for a frame and a fork, you know? And it's like, well, you're getting $40 quality, you know? And it's like, (laughs) but like now I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. So like, I really like, I like, I will only sell a bike if it's painted by John Pucci. Well, uh, no, I'll take that back. I I'll, I'll sell a bike, uh, to somebody if they're going to get it like painted by spectrum or Rudy or, or Velo color, like a professional shop, but they're not going to get a better deal than I can get with John. I have a relationship with John. I built that relationship. He knows what he's getting. I know what I'm getting. It's always going to be fucking stellar. He does an awesome job. Um, you know, he's ran with the torch from Joe you know, and, and, you know, the dude is awesome. He does like amazing stuff, super good at communicating with me. And it's like the customer just tells me a color and then I just talk to John, you know, they don't have to deal with anything, Yeah. you know, and, and, and granted, I don't, I don't really like to offer like, you know, I guess if somebody was like, I want to fade, I'd be like, okay, do you know how much a fade costs? <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 most people are like, okay, like you're going to get me like a pretty dang good deal on like a single color stellar wet job with painted on decals. And it's going to, it's going to blow, you know, it's going to blow any powder coat with stickers on it out of the water. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I, I stick with John and that's a, I think a business decision that in, in some ways, sometimes it, it does hurt a sale. Like I, I've definitely had people being like, you charge how much for that? And it's like, look, like 800 bucks of this is going straight to the painter. I don't make money off the painter. Mm-hmm. And I bake in the shipping cost in between him and I, you know, it's like, like it's expensive. You know, it's the, the paint materials alone for like some of the paints he's using. It's like, you know, a, a pint of, of PPG is like $300, you know? Like, yeah. you know, you're not using a whole pint, but it's like, if you're getting custom mixed colors and you know, that kind of thing, it's like, yeah, like he's running a business too. Yeah. You know, so I wish people understood like just how hard paint really is. Like it's, it, you know, it's, it's almost as much work as like building, building the frame, you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I don't ever like, I have paint stuff and like, ha- you know, have painted and will sometimes paint, things with auto paint i did i have no interest in painting my own frames yeah. like not to mention just like the space of it you know it's yeah. like i don't i don't have the space to like a build out an industrial booth and like also uh i care about my neighbors and it's like <laughs> shit's toxic you know like yeah. i uh that's how we met sort of is before i ever met you in person you know i was trying to wrap my head around how i would do wet paint because in my old space in Syracuse, New York, my landlords had a halfway decent paint booth and a big air compressor. And I could have painted bikes there halfway efficiently without paying for the space or the overhead. 
of the thing. I would have needed a compressor, I would have needed a blast cabinet and, and I would have wanted a whole bunch of, it would have been a huge chore and I ended up, I only ever wet painted like a single bike with PPG automotive paint. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you had given me a lot of advice about that from things you had learned at Joe Bell's shop and it was information that I didn't know where else to find at that time and was quite helpful to me. And yeah, and there's yeah, a lot. Uh, you knew all that stuff ahead. and still you're just like, yeah, but I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, dude. It's and and I tell people like, look, man, uh, with paint, it's really just about like time, man. Like you, you're gonna be sand. Like you want it to look good. Like get ready for your fingers to be raw. You know, mm. like you're gonna be sanding. Like you better enjoy sanding. You know. Who, who was it? Uh, somebody uh, had said painting, or as I like to call it, sanding. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. It, and, and it's like it's the same like uh, like building a bicycle frame. It's like. <laughs> You know, so many people focus on the like the welding and or the brazing part of it, and that's their like favorite part. And so it's like that's like like twenty to twenty minutes to like an hour out of like the actual like time it takes making the bicycle. You know, <laughs> it's like the the smallest portion of what it takes. You know, yeah. So like, you know, and and you know, I always tell people it's just like, man, like should like always you know, master the file before you master the flame really, because like, you know, you got to have tight miters. You've got to have, you know, a good fit up. And, and, you know, that's really the difficult part. I feel like it's not the welding. It's not the brazing. Yeah. Okay. So in the timeline of your frame building trajectory, <laughs> I'm a rambler. <laughs> no, this is good. Dude, I, Every time I make a long podcast episode, I'm like, it's finally going to happen. Somebody's going to tell me it was too long. And then it doesn't. And the last <laughs> one I did with Mike Flanagan was nearly three hours. And I mean, you know, he's a legend, right? But like people were telling me consistently, I, I heard like three or five people tell me it was the best episode I had ever done. And I'm like, yeah, people just, they got time. They like podcasts. Oh man, I haven't listened to it yet. I got to listen to that one. It's good. I mean, you know, it's cool. Mike, Mike goddamn Flanagan. Like, of course it's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, always uh, legend stuff. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, what makes you think that you're worthy to be on this show? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, I, I am not worthy. <laughs> no, hey man, uh, when I like, when I get guys like uh, Chris Chance and Mike Flanagan, Steve Belinky, and all these, uh, nobody's worthy. But I, as I was telling you before we started recording, I think with podcasts like this, like machining podcasts and stuff that I listen to the interviews with people who are sort of younger and in the middle of figuring it out, I think those are almost more my favorite just because like I can relate to that level of the journey. And then of course it's also yeah. really good to get the perspective of the people who've been doing it forever because they know what they're talking about and they have a lot, you know, like they're both valuable in different ways. And so, uh, that's yeah. why, and you know, I've been trying to get more of people. I mean, it's a lot of just my good friends like you and Sean Handerhan, but like people mm. who are more on the peer level in the middle of figuring it out. I think that's good TV. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, like I always try to remind myself, it's like, dude, these guys, they, they started exactly the same way as you. Like, you know, I don't know. Tom Ritchie just was like, Oh, let me take this cruise room, like fucking haul ass down this mountain, you know, <laughs> in <laughs> the Bay area. It's like, I mean, like the, most of these guys didn't come from anywhere special. Like it's just time, you know? And, and like, just, it, it, I think when I was a younger builder, like I wanted to get 
these skills and get to a place and the comfortability like in my fabrication techniques really quickly and you know like it was frustrating and I I, if I had just kind of like been like dude just slow down it's all good like you know like now it's like I don't know it it, now it's starting to really come come kind of easy and um you know but I feel like I'm even learning more you know as I've, I've just gotten so comfortable with it, but just like reminding myself like, Hey, you know, everyone starts somewhere, you know? Yeah. yeah and not <laughs> unless you're fucking Eddie Van Halen. And then, you know, it's like, those, <laughs> those are the guys you're like, well, I quit. Okay. You know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like a, I think it's a pitfall to, to, uh, you know, put it on a pedestal or to, to, to think that like, you'll never, you'll never be as good as these other people. Like they're all, we're all mortals. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and, and I think there was like, and because I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about like marketing and that, that kind of thing, but you know, it, there was this weird shift, like in the, you know, later 2010s and stuff, you know, it, well, like, yeah, like I guess like it, it, as we were entering the tens, like marketing kind of turned into this thing about like, you know, like being like a, a story, you know, like your, your brand identity and like your story. And there's like this kind of like whole cult of personality thing that like kind of came about, like, especially in the, in the frame building world. Cause it's like, yeah, you're, you're trying to convey to your customers that like they should be comfortable with you, like that you're a cool guy that you're going to like, you know, um, <sighs> you're going to like fit them to the bike and it's going to be this whole like, you know, bespoke process and that kind of thing. And I think we're kind of moving out of that because well, everybody does it, you know? So like, you know, what makes you special, you know, you're, that's kind of like expected, but I think that cult of personality thing, you know, at least for me, I would like see frame builders and I'd be like, Oh, that's, that's that guy. And you're like, dude, he's just a normal guy, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. he's just a dude that, you know, has a, you know, has this curse of a craft, (laughs) (laughs) builds bicycles out of his garage, you know, well, you know, his, his, his partner probably makes like three times as much money as him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's exceedingly common. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just sad when, uh, newer, younger people get an impression of the sustainability and viability of this sort of thing based on what they see. And they're not seeing the whole picture, yeah. which is that, you know, it's sort of the the sustainability of these uh, artists and builders is kind of a lot of times propped up by like their spouse's good health care and steady job and that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that is unfortunate. Like I've never, I, you know, it's like, that's, you know, people show you how to weld, but they're probably not going to show you their like financial statements, you know, yeah. you kind of never really do know, but you know, and, and like, Carl Strong has said it. it's like you can do the math like you, you build like 50 bikes and you're charging a certain amount and you got this overhead it's like like yeah you could you could make decent money I guess doing this but like it's a grind dude like I just built these five mountain bikes and it's like I'd have to do this every month of the year mm-hmm. to make like what eighty thousand hundred thousand dollars a year you know before all of my expenses yeah it's like, dude, that's a lot of fucking work. Like, I'm like, I don't know if I would ever want this to be a full-time, not just supplementary income kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. 
The um, Devin from Lycan Precision, Lycan Manufacturing, uh, one or the other, right? Yeah. He's, uh, doing dropouts and some frame building tools and stuff. He was just on the Within Tolerance podcast, more of a machining podcast, which I was a guest on a couple weeks ago also for anyone who cares to hear more about my story and didn't see when I posted about Oh, yeah, that. I got to listen to that too. <laughs> yeah, I just, I like the, the show is good. There's a lot of interesting guests if you're into CNC machining. But anyway, something Gavin said was just about how in the bike industry, there's a lot of these parts that uh, you'll be, you know, asked to make. And they're really like aerospace parts in terms of machining, you know, like they're complicated, uh, you know, the aluminum and titanium and different materials and, uh, you know, cosmetic and all this stuff. And then you're getting paid like bike prices. It's like, it's like just as hard a lot of times as, uh, as yeah, aerospace manufacturing is without, <laughs> without the, the paycheck that comes with that sort of work. So uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting yeah, totally. world. And yet, uh, it's also really fun and satisfying. And if you go about it right, then yeah, of course you can be successful, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Absolutely. It's, you know, frame building is like that. I think, you know, if you were doing these kinds of fabricated structures to these, I mean like the whole alignment thing, so many builders are trying to build it way straighter than is practically necessary. Cause it's like a point of pride and I get that. But if you were building thin wall titanium or chromoly or whatever, you know, even carbon fiber structures that had some sort of, you know, physical requirements for strength and, and whatever, and to fit bearings and different components, you would make way more on them than, you know, if you were doing it right anyway. Uh, yeah, it's oh, just, yeah, a, yeah. it's, it's a tough biz. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, that's true. It's like, and then, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> I don't know if I can add anything more to that. <laughs> so, okay, so let's let's keep chugging along on your story here. You Time, were in timeline. Yeah. Uh, you were in San Diego and you worked with Joe Bell and Rob Roberson and uh, eventually you found your way to the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois, and uh, you started doing some frame building stuff there. You eventually took a class at Yamaguchi, uh, yeah, tell us about that shift and and what happened there. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know. I just uh, the Chicago move was just like kind of just this random like you know leaf in the wind type thing. Um, I I was like planning to go to go back to school, and I, I had been you know I I had spent a year uh, when I graduated high school in San Francisco. Um, um, to go to uh, design school at SF State, but had to move back because of like financial issues. And my parents, you know, like my mom and my stepdad were, their relationship was completely on the outs. It was like violent. And I had two younger brothers down in San Diego, so I had to go back. And I kind of just like, I felt like there was all these like starts and stops of me, like, you know, potentially getting out of like, you know, the, the systemic situation that like, I think a lot of people are unfortunately plagued with. And, you know, my mom's a, my mom's a high school teacher. So like, I always, there was always that, you know, in the back of my head, she's like, you gotta go to college, you gotta go to this. Like, like, you know, it's the only way to success. It's the only way to do these things. And it was like, you know, like there's just this immense pressure and it's just like, well, I can't afford it. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, like I, I would, I would like work at this bike shop in San Francisco, you know, like I only worked there for like three weeks. Cause it was like, 
okay, I couldn't get off work and ride my bike to get to the dining hall to get the, to get the one free meal I could get at night, you know, in time. And so it was just like, I was like trying to have good grades and trying to like, you know, eat, you know, all while like everyone around me, I just felt like was like having a grand old time, you know, Oh, it's college party, you know, like, and then it's just like, man, I just like, there's no way to make this work. So I went back to San Diego, did community college, um, you know, like loved community college cause it was completely free. Uh, and like, I just took like every class until they were like, dude, you need to like, you need to transfer and like, you need to go to a university now. Like we're going to start charging you for classes. So I was like, okay, like, all right. Like, and I, and I was planning to go to San Jose state and go to their industrial design program. And then there was like a clerical error ended up like not being able to go there. They basically told me like, you'll have to reapply next year. Sorry. You know, uh, you, you lost this round. And I was just like, dude, I got to get the fuck out of San Diego. I just felt stagnant. I'd been at that point now working at the same bike shop for like six years. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> I got to go somewhere. And I was like, also just kind of getting over like working in a bike shop, like even riding bikes, you know, like I was still interested in like frame building and, you know, like I was still at Joe's at the time, you know, and I was just kind of like, I got to leave. And I had a friend, she was like from Illinois and her mom had a house in the Aurora, Illinois, <laughs> home of Wayne's world. Wayne's world yeah. And she was like, you can go live with my mom, Pat, like I'll drive you out there and, and you go live with her. She'll let you like, you know, she'll make you do chores and stuff and, and you can live there for free and you can find like, I don't know, a job in the city and like, and then a place to live. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I did that and, uh, ended up in, in Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Chicago was, was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was a tough, the tough first year there for me. Um, yeah, I, I quickly, like I did, I, I like went around all the bike shops. I didn't apply to any of them cause I didn't want to work there, but like I went around cause I was like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm in town. Like, you know, I still sort of rode bikes and, and, uh, I got invited to like an open house or I had heard that there was like, I had been like always looking for like a live workspace. And then I found out about this spot called bubbly dynamics, which had kind of like a, frame builder collective in it yeah and uh i was like oh sick okay so this you know this solves my problem i can keep building bikes and i can um you know like i don't have to buy any equipment and like they have everything there and like i you know like i, I might need a few tools but i can share most of the big stuff with these guys and like this is going to be awesome you know this is going to be great you know and it's on the south side of town on like 35th street in bridgeport and even though i lived uh technically on the south side and um in little italy um it was like you know after after work or you know like riding in the winter to get down there to to like build a bike it was just like so like unfeasible yeah it's Uh, way out of the way when i visited there and 2011 or something so I got on the train from Wrigleyville or something and I was like yeah, yeah. You just hop on the train and it takes you it was like 
it was an hour or an hour 15 before I finally got to the place. Like I didn't realize you could go that long on the train. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's down there and like, you know, uh, I mean, there are really, there are some really cool builders like working out of there. So it was, it was definitely cool to, to see that. And like, you know, I feel like in, you know, Chicago is one of those few major cities that like, you know, like it, it, it was still, especially when I moved there, like super cheap. I was paying like $250 for the room I was in, in like what I considered like a nice place. You know, I shared, I shared the place with like three other roommates that I met on Craigslist, but like, it was like, I was like, okay, cool. Like this place is nice. Like 250 bucks a month. Like I was, I was paying $800 a month in San Diego and like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> shit, like this is kind of cool, you know? So, um, you know, and, and, and I did like right away, like started, you know, I, I was bartending, um, at this cocktail bar and so I was like making good money. So I was able to buy stuff. The hours were kind of shitty. So I would like, you know, roll down there like pretty late at night usually. Um, and yeah, just kind of word of mouth just started like making some bikes for some bartenders. Um, and then, (laughs) We Dude, should I had uh, an accident. We should explain just a little bit more about Bubbly Dynamics for people who don't know. It's like oh, yeah, old, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's still kind of oh, going, right? Dude, it's oh yeah, it's still there. It's cool as fuck, man. It's so it's like this guy John Edel. Uh, I I I think his story is like he's just like kind of kind of a rich kid that was like you know what I'm gonna be I'm gonna do like something cool and I'm just gonna like make these like community art spaces with like like the money I've been endowed. You know, and you're like yeah, that's that's so tight you know like he it's like a five-story building and Mm -hmm. it's just like an artist collective space and there's like metal shop sculpture shop on like the first floor and there's like a screen printing studio and it's like relatively cheap and then like on the like i think it was the third floor was like the frame building area and um uh owen who owns blue city bicycles in 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 uh chicago mm-hmm. he also does powder coating he like knew john edel and was like dude you should like you know keep the dream of the 90s alive and like let's have this like artist collective space here and like we'll have this whole frame building thing and you know it's like pretty cheap it was like 200 bucks a month but we you know like you'd share benches and there was like legacy frameworks this guy levi who built these like really cool city bikes. There was Michael Catano of humble frameworks. Um, mm-hmm. super rad dude. Um, <laughs> Owen. And then there was like a, a couple of like other, like, you know, newer guys like myself, uh, this dude, Dan Shaman, who does pachyderm bikes, uh, mm-hmm. was building out of there. And, uh, yeah, it was like 200 bucks a month. And it was like, cool. Like my total rent is like $450. <laughs> making good money bartending like can afford tube sets like this is sick <laughs> you yeah. know yeah and, and there's like, there's cool. mills like, and welding tables and torches and you have some yeah. frame building tools to it's not like not the ideal setup maybe if you really wanted to make a bunch of frames but if you're getting started to have access to space and some tools yeah. it's amazing yeah and that was actually pretty funny it would like ebb and flow with people like leaving like there's one guy with an anvil fixture and then like one day is like I walked in and I was like halfway through this like track frame and I was just like, Oh, where'd the anvil fixture go? And it's like, Oh, uh, Kevin or whoever, like Kyle left, you know, <laughs> it'd be like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so you'd have to like figure out how to like, I don't know, 
like then you know use some other tool you know but usually those tools are then like you know like every person like own their own tools and like you know Michael and, and, and Levi were like running a business out of there, you know, like they're legit frame builders, like running a legit business out of there. And so like, it was like, you didn't touch, you know, you could ask nicely and, and, you know, oftentimes they would, but like, it was like, you, there was a feeling there. You'd be like, okay, you guys are, you guys are really trying to like do some real shit. And like, you know, like I've got a full-time job outside of this place. So like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to bother you, <laughs> yeah. you know? They, they controlled the radio, you know, too, you know, so it's like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I got to be here all day, man. Okay, you just come here for fun. <laughs> yeah, bad uh, classic rock only. Get used to it. No, oh, no, no. So Michael, I, uh, I'm i pretty sure he moved to Chicago, like, to do radio with, like, NPR or something. Oh, wow. And, like, he's a drummer. He was, like, a drummer in this, like, uh, um, you know, like, indie band i don't know he probably screaming it's like not indie uh, um but uh no uh yeah he was in this he was in like this cool band from canada like i think they were called north of america um mm. but yeah no he was in this band so like he was always playing like sick tunes i was like damn this guy is cool man it's like he's got like rad tunes on lock like no it was it was always good you know coming in there That's and he's like jamming out to like you know some band some band i'd never heard of Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah um so that was yeah that, that was bubbly um and, you and needed, i was there you needed to get your uh, own space at some point yeah i mean eventually i kind of knew i would like it's always like i feel like when you're in a collective space like that um it's never like it's never like perfect unless like everybody's like really good friends. And I I think that sometimes you felt like you were walking on glass in there and, you know, like, you know, yeah, like their personalities for sure. So it was like, I kind of just like hated all that. (laughs) Um, I also like, you know, the first like four months I was there, I was like really you know, cruising, really cooking on some stuff. And then, uh, I had an accident and I, I lost, uh, basically like all vision in my, my left eye. Um, and so, yeah, like I ended up like being behind on like a whole year's worth of rent, like not even going there. Like I couldn't even work, um, because I got, I got hit in the eye and yeah, like I went, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a one-eyed, uh, frame builder. Uh, mm-hmm. I still, I still have my eye. They didn't take it completely out. Um, but you can't but see that, anything from that. Yeah. It's not black. I can see like shapes, but like if you were right in front of me and you held your fingers up, I, I couldn't tell you, I, it would just look like a blob. Yeah. Um, which, which man, like, you know, I'm using the, you know, you're using your eyes constantly for building. And it's like, I had to basically like, reteach myself how to like look at frames things still don't like always look straight depth wise so i i've kind of learned to use tools to help things look straight yeah you don't have to <laughs> just reassure myself i'm like that's straight okay cool uh-huh. <laughs> the stereoscopic parallax depth perception thing is just not yeah yeah, you're, dude, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's all fun and games to you and I, uh, and, you know, like, 
you kind of don't realize how much you take for granted your vision. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there's so many things in life like that, but certainly vision. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, unfortunately I do know it's like, like I can, I, my dominant eye has taken completely over. It's that's pretty amazing that your brain can do that. But like I do, I've, I definitely notice as years go by, it's, it's diminishing and it's like I'll end up getting glasses and then yeah, maybe by the time I'm like 80, like I might be almost completely blind, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, so yeah, that kind of that kind of safety took the, first in the, the shop. You got one sales, good one. Man. Yeah, yeah, that took the wind out of my sails pretty pretty bad. Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't. I mean, I didn't build there for like almost a year and a half until I ended up uh, meeting. I met Jesse at, at Comrade Cycles. He's a he's a part owner there. Um, through Michael, he was like helping Michael with a a run of bikes for a bike shop called heritage in Chicago. They're, they're very cool. They do like, um, it's like a coffee shop and they have like a beer bar in several locations, but like they make, they make like made in Chicago, like city bikes, you know, and they sell them through their shop and it's like, it's pretty unique. Um, but they, they have, uh, you know, in the past, like used like professional builders to do like runs of like some of their nicer bikes. And so like Michael would do that. Um, and Jesse was helping him and met him and Jesse was like, Oh man, you're a bike mechanic. And like, we need somebody <laughs> summer's hitting and like, <laughs> we're all like tearing our hair out. So I kind of was like over the hours of the bar was having like, you know, existential crisis. Like my eye was finally starting to get better. And I was like, yeah, dude, fuck it. Like, I want to go back to like working in a bike shop. I don't, you know, I don't care about getting paid peanuts. Like I just want to be doing something I, I know I'm good at and, and happy doing. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I started working at comrade cycles and <clears throat> Jesse kind of was, he had worked out of bubbly previous too. And then when they got comrade, he kind of moved his frame building stuff into the, into a back uh, shed of comrade. And so, yeah, so I still kind of had this space to be able to build. And then now I had like, you know, I got back a, a hookup for parts to put on bikes and stuff. So, you know, um, and bike tools. See, that's the thing. Like I still, man, I don't own like a whole, I don't, I don't own a full set of bike tools. Like I've had to like start buying bicycle mechanic specific tools for the first time ever because I've like grown up in a bike shop. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why would I buy my own tools? Like I can just, I have a, I've had a key to, to the bike shop I worked at since I was like 14. So it's like, whatever, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah. So I worked at comrade for a couple of years and, you know, built the frames there, uh, mostly for friends and that, that kind of thing. And, um, Okay. Yeah. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I met you, in, I don't know. Uh, I don't know your story perfectly. When I met you in Chicago, the once and you were at Bricktown, that was pretty sweet. That wasn't just a frame building shop, but you were doing some metal fab and I think some amount of frame building stuff. There's a paint booth in there that you guys were I think, painting yeah. some bikes in. That space was just like, that's sort of um, like if you ever see 
Quicksilver or any of these 80s movies where like the guy lives in a, <laughs> yeah. an old freaking warehouse that's all empty and is prancing around inside or something you know like he's doing in uh yeah, the yeah. Kevin Bacon I movie. mean, I've always cool, had man. this guys, dream of being like. You guys like had a half pipe and a bar Simpson. and like 40 motorcycles <laughs> yeah. in the basement and a cool rooftop hangout zone. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always had this dream of being like Bart Simpson with a box factory. You know, I was like, <laughs> okay, like, you know, like I was moving, to, I moved to Chicago. It's like this clandestine, you know, like kind of old industry town. And I was like, like, I've seen like, yeah, there are people that like, you know, live in warehouses and have like live workspaces. And like I, one, one thing I, I realized pretty quick is like, man, like if I could, you know, sh- share the rent with, you know, like my, my workspace and my live space, like, man, I could, I could really like cut down on expenses. Cause like, man, buying a, or renting, you know, your apartment and then renting, you know, like another commercial space, like, man, that's like three grand in rent. It's like, I'm like 23 and like I work at a bar that's like a, you know, pretty high end cocktail bar, but like, I don't make that kind of money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and if, you know, it would be what I spent all of my money on. And so I was like, I got to find like a live workspace. And, you know, I, I had, I had like moved in with like a bunch of punk kids. Like we had lived in like a, like a big, uh, you know, two story, like, single family home there's like you know it fluctuated between like six to eight of us like living there and there was like a basement where we had like a bike shop bike shop in it i was living with uh another guy that worked at comrade scott and um and yeah you know so i was like i was like yeah man i just get like a bunch of my friends we find a fucking commercial space and like yeah like we just yeah we we throw like diy punk shows there and it'll be it'll be sick and so like you know, it, it took like, you know, four years of living there. And I finally like manifested the, the dream into reality and, uh, you know, found Bricktown, you know, through trying to find a space to like put my tools and, and continue to build bikes. Um, cause I, I had stopped working at Comrade by the time I'd, I'd gotten, uh, I had gotten the lease on Bricktown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it before it was being rented out by like a bunch of like junkies and it, it, you know, it just ended up, um, you know, the lease was up and I, everyone's like, we're, we're fucking dipping, man. Um, I don't know what you want to do. And I was like, fuck that. Like I know how these things work. And I just like called the landlord up and I was like, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to rent this place. I have a business license, you know? And you know, spent like got my buddy brian powell uh really awesome homie um he he worked at joe bell's also um really talented painter um he was working at campy for a while too and um i convinced him to move from san diego to chicago somehow (laughs) i was like dude i got this space like like let's build a paint booth here like we'll put all like the metal shop equipment, like we'll get some other guys in here, like to help pay for the rent, you know? And like, we can just tell them like, yeah, it's like a workspace, but like there's room to play also. So yeah, we just kind of built this, you know, a, a lot of the, the business stuff kind of ended up like not really working out, but like <laughs> we did, 
you know, well, you guys could we, had crank a, beers. we had a half pipe and then <laughs> built a mini bowl and had a bar and a pool table and like, yeah, like a hundred goddamn motorcycles in the garage. That, it was, you know, uh, it was Bart only half of paradise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drinking beers in and the there alley. Like, That's a great time, dude. Yeah. Drinking beers in the alley till 3 a.m. We know it was yeah. like 95 degrees in the summer, uh, <laughs> you know, and then like the front, it, it was such a cool building because it's like an old like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like um, a district for like building furniture for like mostly Polish families. And so like you would live at the factory. And so it was like a, it was like a, like a two story with an attic and a basement within a warehouse, like a two story warehouse uh, where the fire escape would be attached to it. And so it was like 9,000 square feet. Yeah. And there was like six of us and it was like, three grand for rent and it's like you do the math like that's pretty damn cheap for like you know uh a mid-20s um you know hangout spot and you know like yeah we we partied (laughs) (laughs) you know uh lots of lots of fun uh out of that building uh and you know like we we painted some cool bikes out of there like brian did some like really sick work that you know a lot of people in chicago were really stoked to have like somebody with his talent and caliber um working out of that spot um but you know it's like one of those things it's it's hard man like you know like especially when you're just starting out but it's like brian had like the abilities to do like a joe bell quality paint job but like everyone in town's like yeah i got like 700 bucks man you know it's like well i don't know who you are you know it's like it's hard to like establish the you know what i consider like you know like paying for like the actual time you know like you know it's it's hard to <laughs> I, I even feel like sometimes it's like i get people like you're charging how much for your frame it's like dude it's a lot of work like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a ton of work like i'm not going to sell myself short in fact in some sometimes it's like i'd rather like lose the sale than try to like you know race to the bottom to yeah. like satisfy you with the price you know yeah. uh, it's like okay cool I guess I'm going to eat garbanzo beans out of a can this month. Screw it. Like, I mean, that's great too, but it's not (laughs) great if you don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, totally. And like, and you know, I've always like, but I love garbanzo part-time jobs. They're they're dude. Yeah. Yeah. A little Valentino on top of there. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So the Bricktown, yeah. Bricktown was this like, just like cool, spot and it's still there like uh still have uh, several of my buddies live in there and uh i think people have like kind of come and go you know but uh yeah like um you know they're still they're still you know ripping motorcycles and and uh you know doing some really cool stuff out of there so Uh, so it's, it's cool to cool to see that i was getting to know you better over the last couple years and i was around the time Oh, I don't remember if it was when I bought my first CNC mill or if it was a little bit before that. You started going to trade school for, you know, yeah. like uh, what, what I forget what the degree program was exactly, like an associates in uh, manufacturing technology. Ma- manufacturing technology, yeah. Yeah. And I uh, every, every associate actually they had for any kind of manufacturing, so like the welding, CNC, I got like nine certificates and like three associates. <laughs> yeah. And you were, <laughs> like, you were like TAing 20, some 20 of the classes and, uh, 
You yeah, built yeah. the frame fixture stand for your anvil after hours and a whole bunch of other cool stuff in that facility. Oh, I like lived there, dude. It was yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was a. I mean, I I did everything I could out of that school. Uh, and yeah, I think it was like because you were working at you had like uh, were like playing with like either like trying to find a job at a CNC shop and you had gone to like a, a class, like you had gone to the local community college. Like I was like, you go check them out. Like maybe they'll like let you yeah. jump into like one of the more advanced classes. I think that was and, it as I went to check it out. And then I think you out. got a job. No, well, I know I went to the local community college once and I was like, yeah, you know, this would be cool. I've been doing manual machining for a while. So I'm kind of getting f- familiar with that, but I want the next stuff and I don't, I don't own a CNC. Like how am I going to get my teeth into that? And then they were pretty, pretty rigidly like no you start at the start like you on year two you can start yeah. to do some very intro cnc stuff and if you do the whole i don't know if it was two or three or whatever year program then at the very end you would just start to get into like a little bit of cnc programming and i was like man yeah the pace of that is just nothing like i think i'm ready to start on the cnc like now i just don't think you need to it's not 1980 anymore you don't need to start with like this is a g-code like if you have some background yeah the software is user-friendly. You can just get going. And so the program's not being tailored to someone like me. I just didn't have the patience. I was very impatient about that. Oh, bro, they had me starting with, like, mechanical drafting. <laughs> I had to take a mechanical drafting class. I was like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Like, they're like, you will never use this. They were even like, you'll never use this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and it's true. Like, I, like, I use AutoCAD. Like, nobody yeah. mechanically drafts anymore. But... I mean, I was taking mechanical drafting and blueprint rating at the same time. And man, you hand me a print. It's like, I'll tell you like everything about the geometric dimensioning and tolerancing, what every symbol means. Like it ground that shit into my head, you know, which is like, you know, it's like the first thing for a job interview. Most of those guys are like even surprised I can read a print because like so many people just don't even know how to do that. You Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I started, I started trade school, uh, at the time that I was like at Bricktown, um, like shortly after getting the lease. Um, cause I had, I had been going to, to, um, UIC. I was in their industrial design program. And then once again, I, I, you know, dropped out with straight A's, uh, <laughs> I couldn't afford it. Um, I mean, it was the way that their classes were structured. I could no longer work at, at Comrade. And so, um, I ended up working for Cut Cats. Uh, which is like a courier company in Chicago um, where we deliver food. And it, you know, even with cut caps, like I, I had to have like as people that like got away with like, you know, my dispatcher knew I was going to be an hour late to my shift at, every time because like my classes, you know, got out of it at that time. And, and so it was like, it was like almost impossible for me to like, to like pay my rent, pay for my tuition and like, you know, like, have a real like job like even part-time and like it it, it really sucked it kind of like tore up my heartstrings because i was like you know i just got into this really good industrial design program you know like this is it like this so i'll get out of like you know i guess having to be a bike mechanic forever um not that there's anything wrong with that i just that's not what i wanted you know and like mm-hmm. you know i couldn't i couldn't do it so then i was like well you know after my first year, I was like, kind of like, Oh, I, I get like what they're, what they're trying to like teach you here. Like they're trying, like, 
it, it's evolved from like, say like traditional product design, you know, like, um, it, UIC's design program is like a world class. Like, you know, they're really trying to get you to like think about designs bigger than like something like you just sell, you know, um, you know, cause design encompasses like, you know, everything in your life, whether you like to think about it or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody had to design, you know, you know, something, everything, yeah. you know, uh, and, uh, yeah. So like, uh, I was kind of like, Oh, like this school is trying to teach me to like, think about design in a different way. And then also like, not just land on my first idea and be like, okay, cool. Like, that's it. You know, dust my hands off. Like, you know, they're trying to teach you to like funnel your designs down and, and, you know, you know, prototype them and, you know, draw them first. And like, you know, basically have these building blocks to, you know, create things and create good things. Um, And so I was like, okay, well, I feel like I just need to like, you know, I can't afford to go to this school. I I think I just like want to learn how to do like the actual, um, you know, like mechanical processes. So like I went to the trade school being like, all right, like, I'm going to get a welding certification. Cause like, I can't rely on, <laughs> I can't really rely on like bike frame building. At least I didn't think I could. And I was like, I should get some welding certifications just in case. Like I can, then I can go like be a welder and like actually like have, you know, make a decent living, you know, like you can make a pretty decent living as a welder. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And you know, the, the, academic advisor at the trade school is like, well, you have to, if you want to get the welding certificate, you do have to take, you know, a machining class. And he's like, I know you just want to take like, you know, the, the welding classes and like maybe do like one or two. Um, but, uh, you know, like, you know, you're going to have to take this class eventually. Like, let me just give you a full schedule. Like, let me just give you a full load. And, you know, if you don't want to do all the classes, you can drop them, you know, at this date and, and just like slowly work on your, your welding certs. And I was like, okay, cool. And you know, that first day going into machining classes, like there's 15 bridge ports in the CNC mill. And I was like, Holy cow. And the commute down there was like almost an hour, you know, cause it's South Chicago school. And, I was like, well, I'm making this entire commute. I might as well take day and night classes. I might as well just like really go for this. And I only worked on the weekends and I just like, I I like lived there, (laughs) you know, like, and to the point where like, you know, the head of the program, Marty was like, Hey man, we need like an instructor for machining 101. Do you want to be that guy? Do you want to run the lab? uh, during the, like between night and day class hours and like make sure nobody like, loses a finger and I was like yeah absolutely so it's like I had a key to the place I you know <laughs> I like I I got to use every machine in there I had you know four thousand dollar welders at my disposal laser cutting machine yeah. you know uh vf1 uh that's Hoss awesome because I think a, machine. a lot of us with frame building if we didn't have any other broader manufacturing experiences you don't see a whole lot of different things. And I think the frame building world no. tends to be very much like, um, um, we're just all kind of looking at what everybody else is doing and it can be pretty traditionalistic. And so 
you know, what you've done more recently with some laser cut stuff for like yokes and well, you made slingshots and different, well, like head badges and all sorts of different little things that you get cut out and dropouts, things you've had cut for other people and being able to do these designs and just knowing enough about these processes to say like, yeah, this, I'm not going to do that with a hand file or I'm not going to like try and cut that like this. Yeah. Like <laughs> this right here, this is the process. I think it's important for us or it can be really helpful for us to have like these broader perspectives about what else is out there because uh, making stuff is a whole big world. And uh, if you only ever follow yeah. the other builders who learned how to do it 10 or 20 years ago and they're just doing it the same way they've always done it, you know, you're missing out. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's definitely something romantic about, you know, like filing oh, yeah. out your own stuff. But like, I mean, even, like now that I've like become more business minded and like understood like kind of like hi higher processes of, of manufacturing, I'm like, man, why the fuck would you ever do that? Like there's a shop that like, if you know how to use CAD, you know, like there's a shop that'll like laser cut that for you. And, and I find with some of the, you know, some of the people that I've done like head badges for, or, or like, you know, other, cut other stuff for, it's like, they just don't, it, and it would be easy for them to learn. And, uh, you know, like I'm always trying to point people to resources, like, you know, like, you know, you, you can draw in like illustrator if you're more comfortable with that. And then turn it into an AutoCAD file then that you can send to a shop that'll like laser cut stuff for you. Like my first slingshots, I, I didn't own the laser cutter. Like I just drew it up in AutoCAD and um, you know, and that was something I quickly realized at trade school too, is like, I did not want to be a welder dude. Like when I was doing my like overhead tests and shit, I was like, screw this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like I, I started to get way more into like, the 3d CAD and, uh, the machining side of things. And, you know, and even then, like some of the other machining instructors, you know, they were like real job shop machinists, like really talented dudes. And they'd be like, wait, you drew that on a computer in 3d. And now you're going to take it over to the CNC mill and like machine it. And like, like that's a product. And I'm like, yeah, man, and they're like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. Like they just get a, they get a drawing from, yeah. you know, they get a, a CNC part CAD uh, and CAM for them. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a setup operator. You know, they might not even like, they might do the camming, but they're not doing the designing and, and like, it's a total disconnection. And I, I think that's, what's really cool with like technology and like the way it's progressed is like a guy like you, Joe, like, so impressive because like and something that like when when you started doing it i was like okay like we'll see what this guy does you know and, and then to a couple of years where i'm like holy fuck like dude yeah like you, you just bought a 20 year old machine and just started making parts you designed on a computer and like shoved it into like basically you know a 400 square foot garage and that was it yeah. you know and it's like it, it's it's so cool that we have access to that and like you know, and that was my biggest gripe with, with the, with the trade school was like, it, it was just behind the times, you know, it's yeah. like, I learned a lot there. I really felt like, you know, it was, a, it was a valuable experience. Like they wanted to give me a, you know, if I had stayed in Chicago, like they, they would have given me a full-time job as a full-time instructor there. And, and one of the things I really like thought about was like, like, man, like we got to stop, like, like it, <laughs> we got to stop like treating this, like these kids are going to go straight into a job shop workshop because they're probably not because job shops are, are gnarly. 
um, they're super old school. And it's like, you know, really, I don't think, and I felt like the most, uh, the most apt students at the, at the trade school were the ones that already had a job at a job shop and the job shop was paying them to go there to get their certificate. You know, those were the guys that were like really talented, really interested. Most mm-hmm. of the other kids were like, um, you know, like fresh out of high school, didn't know what to do. You know, yep. the, their advisor in high school was like, Oh, go learn how to weld, you know? <laughs> yep. And then you had like a couple of guys like me, you know, we had, there was a couple of like older students are like, I'm just trying to get into a different career and like stop waiting tables. Um, and, and like we, those, you know, those two categories of people were definitely like turned off by it. But like, I feel like, you know, and I, I would show like, we'd have middle school students, do like tours and stuff and i was always the the guy doing the the, the tours um and it's like i'd have the 3d printer and i'd be like look like i designed this like i made this this you know this little widget um it, <laughs> it was always brass knuckles that was the, that was the thing like i'm i'm a bad kid <laughs> <laughs> Slingshots. Well, I'm, a, I'm a boy scout at heart like i'm not i'm a secret good kid but like i'm like also a bad kid and it was like dude i've seen these kids it's like yeah, I'm Bart Simpson. You, you know, you'd see these kids that like had kind of the light in their eyes, but nobody had like you know shown them that you know because I was I was also that kid. I can see it when a kid is like, dude, all you need is somebody like me to be like, dude, you can you can design this on a computer and you can make your own brass knuckles. Like I would show people that because I was like, yeah, CNC'd out my own brass knuckles. I made the soft jobs for it, you know, and and it's it's technically a bottle opener. You know, that's how I got away with it. You know, I was like, yeah, check out this bottle opener I made, you know, and you get kids being like, Whoa, first you, can you put make it on your fist like, no. and then you open up your yeah. opponent's quote <laughs> bottle. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to make you one, but I'll show you how to like use the computer. And if you want to design one yourself and you can figure out how to design that yourself and you want to then learn how to do some cam stuff, I'll show you how to cam it. Yeah. Like, I'll, you know, and it's like, you, can't come empty-handed man like come out with something and like sure you know part of what you're talking about with the school and you know you have these guys who are experienced with setup and cam and running and i think a lot of the job market and a lot of the old school way of thinking about being a maker or a technician of some sort of skill involved with making and you see this at small bike companies uh is it's like a very granular approach it's like Mike Flanagan was talking about this, you know, he knew how to paint and it was, the information was guarded. It was kind of hard to move into the welding department or it was kind of hard to, you know, to move from one thing to another. Cause if you just knew how to do everything yourself, what he said was, you know, maybe they were afraid that he would leave or something, but, um, whatever it is, I mean, also it's just expensive to train people for all these various different things. And, uh, it just seems like nowadays the information is more accessible that if you want to, you can usually teach yourself and find people to help mentor you to do everything you want to do. So if it's machining and metalwork or if it's frame building or if it's something else entirely, but it's just this old school view. I think like you go to trade school and you're going to learn these granular steps. And like, I think what's a lot more fun and way more satisfying and fulfilling is to have more of a global purview and to be like, I guess a maker, you know, it's like the maker movement or something Yeah. to be someone yeah. who, who says like, I have an idea for a thing. I'm going to take it start to finish. 
And at the end, you have all this ownership, you have all this sort of satisfaction in the thing that you made. You've learned a lot about all the technical processes. You got the aesthetic the way that you wanted it. You know, one of the big benefits of that for what I do is that I'm, you know, when I make something, it's not enough to just get it made. It's like I'm trying to make it manufacturable so that uh, I just wouldn't be able to do that if I was sending stuff out the door. I wouldn't see the issues you know, I design it and then, well, it's actually really hard to make because you can't hold on to it and because it pushes a burr here and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I wouldn't see that. And so I'd keep trying to make it the same stupid way. It's just, I think it's a lot more satisfying and exciting to do the full thing. But some of these places that you will learn, like a trade school, are going to be old school. Yeah. And I mean, there's some, I think there's some inherent problems, like, like certainly like, it, learning stuff online or through forums like you know there's certainly like an echo chamber to that and like there are some like skills that like are being lost because like yeah people are burnt out burnt out by like you know like going to a job shop and like everyone there is like an asshole and doesn't want to teach anything because like they yeah. just know you're going to take those skills and probably find some better job Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, they've, they've, they've been there for 30 years, you know? And it's like, it, it, I mean, unfortunately, like, I, I wish those people just realized it's like, look, this isn't my fault. This is just like what it is. Like, you know, in, in fact, like I haven't really worked at a job shop because, you know, starting wage is $12 an hour <laughs> at yeah. some of them, yeah. you know, or you're, you, or the ones that do pay well, it's like third shift only, you know, and you know, there's only eight guys there and all those guys have been there for 30 years and you're not ever going to get a better shift. And like that, they'll acknowledge like, yeah, in a year, you're probably going to leave. You're probably going to go to a little bit better of a shop, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, man, I could bartend or I could like wait tables and I can make twice that, you know? And it's like, and I don't have to deal with this stress and maybe I'm not learning as much, but it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to weigh, weigh that, you know, um, against each other. It's like, okay, would I rather like not have to like, you know, suffer as much and like make money to like pay my mortgage. Um, or do I like, I want to like take a pay cut so I can like learn this, like what is now becoming like an esoteric, you know, like trade esoteric. Is that the right word? I don't know. Archaic maybe. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, you know, just this like, this, this trade that's kind of like dying, you know, and, you know, like, you know, and maybe in five to 10 years, I'll be making good enough money where like it, it's like a real career, but it'll never, it'll never get easier, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just that there's all different kinds of shops out there and some of them are just terrible and you need to get out and other ones are good. Oh, yeah. I talked to all sorts of machining people and, uh, like the the one real bona fide machine shop job I had, I think was terrible. They just wanted simple work done by by people who were willing to do boring simple work day after day, and and I guess if that's all you ever aspire to do, it was maybe a reasonable place to work, but it was the wrong fit for me. And I know other people in machining who have had those experiences and then have moved on and found shops that were great, where they're like. They, they, the, the people who are running the shop see like, oh, wow, this person is enthusiastic about doing a good job. They want to improve things. They care. Like they make good work. Like this is exactly what we need. This is exactly what we've been looking for. And I think it does exist, but it can be kind of daunting to find. And I think depending on the part of the country that you're in probably changes a lot what you see. Like a lot of the stuff that I hear about manufacturing in 
you know, the Bay Area for tech companies and stuff. I've known a handful of people who yeah. work for, you know, Google and Tesla and Facebook and uh, these machine shops and prototyping and different things. And well, it's like badass stuff, man. They do cool things there. It's interesting. It's stressful, but like you're going to learn a lot. You're probably going to be surrounded by interesting people. And then you have these other kinds of machine shops where it's just like, it's like, nope, we quoted this job 15 years ago and they keep sending it back to us and we're just going to keep running it the same way and like, let's not overcomplicate it here. And then you look at it and you're like, this is a really silly way to do this. And like, we could be doing this way smarter. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 just just do the work the way that we always do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't ruffle any feathers and, and here. Trying to, yeah, and trying to find a job down here in, in Nashville now I'm like living in the South, you know, it's like, the industry is like totally different. Like Chicago's like got a rich, you know, like machining industry, like, you know, a lot of DOD, a lot of auto stuff, you know, and then just like other, you know, basic job shop stuff, you know, they got unions up there, which is really nice. You know, like you can get in a union, do it. You know, no one ever says like, man, I wish I didn't join the union. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, um, but down here in the South, it's like, yeah, we got a couple of machine shops in town. They're, they're real roughneck, you know, they're running most of the jobs. Uh, we got some auto stuff like Nissan. Um, that's also like, you know, tough. Um, I, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like I went down there and like got a whole tour. It's the largest plant in North America under one roof. Um, which is crazy. It's like a mile long by, a, by a quarter mile wide. <laughs> and they've insane. got like, these crazy like like stamping machines in there and it's like loud as heck um yeah it's it's a it's a wild plant um and, yeah. and that was that was cool to like take a tour on that but um yeah i don't know if i'd ever really want to work there and and that was one of the few places that they were like yeah we'll, we'll start you at 25 an hour like you know like you're gonna have to learn a lot uh you know you're fresh out of trade school um you know you stick around for a year we'll be paying you 30 you know um He's like, but you're going to be working third shift and you're going to be working weekends. <laughs> you know, like, that's like, yeah. damn. They were like, they said, they were like, look, man, like we're going into shutdown days. Everyone in the plant is like going to be on vacation. And that means we got to go fix every machine, you know? And like, so that means like, are you, are you willing to work the next six weekends in a row? And I'm like seven days a week yeah. from 10 PM to 6 AM for six weeks i was like man that's like joining the military like i mean i don't know what i would have done with all that money <laughs> like <laughs> there's nothing i'd be able to spend it on i want to have a life to live um yeah but like joanna my my fiance was like i told her i was like oh they want to give me a job it's this much She's like that's great and i was like it's a third shift um so i'm gonna be working from 10 p.m to 6 a.m and also like i gotta work the next six weekends in a row and she's like i'll, I'll never see you and i was like yeah, I mean, but I mean, she's like, okay, well, I guess if you have to, and I was like, no, I'm just like, no way. I was like, I was like, I'm pulling your leg right now. There's no way, like, you, you would, you would dump me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is not gonna happen. Like, I would, I would want to shoot myself. Like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So tell me um, this: what was the story with uh, taking the class with Yamaguchi in uh, rifle? Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's, like, one of those things that got, like, I, I, like, knew he was, like, just this, like, you know, this guy that, like, built, like, all these frames and, you know, was, like, a fucking master and, like, you know, he's doing this class and, I don't know, like, I like taking classes and I, I needed a vacation. I was, I had just done, like, summer school and was going to start the fall semester, my final fall semester at trade school. And so I'd, like, you know, like, 
hammered like 18 credits in the summer, like took a, like a calculus class and a, and a, my second physics class. And I was like, dude, I, I need a, I need a retreat. And I, and I hadn't had the time to like really build a frame. So I was like, I'll go to, I'll go to this class. Screw it. I've got all this money like saved up. I'll, I'll go take this class. I've had a couple of friends that have taken the class, all these other frame builders that I've become friends with just by going to trade shows and like talking to them. I've taken the class. I'm like, I want to see, I want to, I want to take this class. You know, like th- these are like the guys that like, <clears throat> you know, um, we, we need to learn from while they're still here. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, I drove out there and, and took the two week course and, you know, built myself uh, the single speed bike I ride you know, at, at least 150 miles a week out here every week. Um, and it was, it was a really cool class. It was a really cool experience. I, you know, it, one of my favorite things about it was it, it, you know, kind of solidified, you know, that like, yeah, you know, you don't really have to have much. You can build a quality bicycle in two weeks with like hand tools, you know, mm-hmm. like there is no machining in there. There was none of that. Um, I kind of wish maybe I'd like gone to like metal guru and like kind of learned more processes because I've I've had to kind of figure out that all on my own. But like, you know, a lot of that also came from just like taking machining classes. You kind of learn how to produce things in, in a, you know, a a more streamlined way by using, you know, dedicated tools and that kind of thing. And, um, but you know, I really, I camped the entire time in rifle Colorado, which is like this, you know, podunk mining town and um yeah like a, <laughs> it, it was an awesome experience man I, there was only one other guy in the class and he was like an engineer and he had never built a frame um so it was, it was kind of cool like to be able to like i think like ask more advanced questions and then see also like this guy like you know you know starting from from nowhere and then like also asking me like my setups and that kind of thing and because at really this cool. point you I had mean, built 20 frames or you, you had been doing it yeah. for years in different capacities with comrade and the ones you did with uh rubberson and over yeah all the different stuff yeah yeah and 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 so like yeah like i had i had experience going into the class um and and it was kind of like also just like an extra confidence booster i was like I was like, oh, I'm going to take this class. And Koichi was like, dude, you got this, man. <laughs> I was like, like, oh, thanks. Like, yeah, <laughs> thank it, you. I, you know, I think it was cool uh, to like. Going and taking a class once you already kind of know the ropes would be a lot of fun. I only ever took the one and I didn't know anything when I started it. But, um, yeah, I, I think if I ever get the chance to just go to UBI, to go to Metal Guru, to go to yeah. Bike Academy, to go to Yamaguchi, all these different, you know, Brew maybe even, uh, all these different classes, it'd just be fun. You'd you'd inevitably learn things and get perspective every oh, totally. time, and you would be able to ask deeper and better questions. You know what I really would love to do is to get a fillet brazing class or demo with Steve Belinke. Uh That right there is something I think anybody who wants to ever lay a fillet braze you know, I mean, once, <laughs> once those glasses are uh, happening again, assuming they are, uh, I yeah. mean, just what a treasure of an opportunity. Yeah. I, I really like the way the bicycle Academy kind of, they, they offer like justice. Like if you've built frames, like you can go take their like Philip raising masterclass or their TIG welding, you know, for bicycles class. And that, that is something that I've like really been interested in. I actually like, 
you know, like I wanted to go do that even after the Yamaguchi school. Um, but like, you know, you got to fly to London yeah. <laughs> or wherever. I think it's in London, but, um, you know, you got to fly to the UK and you got to do this, you know, um, you know, but like with a $400, just the fillet brazing class, like I've been trying in the last like year to figure out kind of how they, how they do their type of fillet brazing. And I feel like the UK guys, like, because like, there's still like this industry of like, you know, there's like this rich industry of like triumph motorcycles being fillet braised and like, you know, mm-hmm. like high performance cars. There, There's like these guys that have like gotten this information, like passed down from their grandfathers and dads. Um, whereas like the fillet braising industry wise here in the States is like, you know, unless you're a plumber, you're not really going to be like, you know, sweating brass or silver, you know, like years so, ago, like it's kind of this lost art here <clears throat> on the, I think it was the frame builders list serve the Google groups thing. This would have been like 2012 or somewhere in there. One day somebody posted a link to a video might've been on Vimeo and it was from the Brompton factory and it was yeah, a really yeah. cool fixture. And somebody in production threw the parts in and lays down some fillets hot and fast beautiful like yep. freeze patterns and spacing and i watched the video yep. and i was kind of mesmerized i had never seen anything like it and then the next day the video was taken down and the guy's like oh i was asked not to share this video anymore and i've never seen it again <laughs> i don't know if it exists anywhere presumably it doesn't on the internet I, publicly i have it i have it <laughs> saved i have, i actually have that that video <laughs> saved but yeah no i uh yeah no that's one of those videos right like um you know, like, and I feel like I've, I've figured it out and, and I kind of, I do kind of, um, I'll kind of go back and like get rid of those waves because I, I do like to file down everything I do. Um, but, um, yeah, I feel like there's like kind of like a hybrid of like the way I taught was taught by like Rob, um, which is kind of like how like Tom Ritchie does it. And I guess I think Blinky does it kind of similarly where, you know, you're, you're kind of going back over stuff and like smoothing it out. Um, but, um, yeah, it kind of hurts me when I, <laughs> I'll do like, I'll get one where it's like, it looks like it's like silicon bronze tigged, you know, and it's like, fuck, that looks so cool. And like, and I'll just like file, file it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I definitely go like hot and fast in it. Um, and it, it's a quick technique. Um, and, and yeah, like, but I, I still like, I still want to go like, you know, that, that class is just like, there be people like that have never even touched a torch and they're coming out with these like fucking awesome looking brazes. And it's like, man, I could, you know, of course you can learn from that, you know? Yeah. You know, I never want to stop learning either. Like I've always been in a school kid. It's always been an escape for me. And I've always enjoyed being in, in classes or, you know, learning stuff. Yeah, I Um, love learning and I don't love the academic, like I I finished a four year degree, but it's I'm never going back. And it's just not the right like to take. It's just not my my wavelength to be enrolled in five classes at once. They start in September and they end in December and they're all on to me a really slow, slow, slow pace. And it's just, I can't split my focus like that. When I want to learn something, like I want to learn it now and I want to learn everything there is to know about it. 
and uh, and then I want to you know like move on to the next thing, and I want to do it on my own schedule. And so when I've had the opportunity to take classes that are a couple days or a week long, more intensive and more focused on one subject, and it's of my choosing, that suits me a lot better. I don't know about other people, but uh, I took a CAD CAM class on Fusion 360 yeah. in Ohio a couple of years ago. That was a perfect fit for me. And the frame building class was really fun. And I would love to do more of those. Any of those kinds of things where you can go and just quickly dive deep into something and come out of it with like a cursory understanding of some new thing or uh, an advanced, more in-depth understanding of something that's freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, the UBI Thai school like really interests me. And I, I, I kind of met like a rich dude out here that like, you know, had like a race team and like offered, he was like, he's like, okay, okay. Like I'll pay for you to go to that school. And then like, you'll build 10 bikes for my race race team. And then like, you know, you'll be relinquished from your servitude to me. And like, <laughs> yeah. And you won't have to pay for any of it. And then I COVID hit and I think he, his wallet took a hit, but yeah, I would love, you know, yeah. The UBI school like really interests me. Cause it's like, man, there's, yeah, there's some, you know, like Don from Anvil, like that dude is like a, well, like a pipeline welder down in Antarctica, like just like a, a, you know, very talented dude already and decided to go to UBI to like, you know, learn how to build frames. And it, it says a lot about like yeah. what, what those classes like have to offer to you mm -hmm. as a person. And I would suggest to anybody that's like looking into frame building, it's like, take the class, like, you know, you're going to, it's just going to be so much easier. You're going to like probably end up with a working frame at the end of it. You're going to learn a lot. And like, you're also going to realize like how hard it is and like whether or not you want to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You get a taste of exactly what it is and what it isn't. And, and you can use that perspective. <laughs> to yeah. <laughs> whether or not you want to keep doing it. So uh, the Yamaguchi class yeah, seems freaking awesome. I uh, hope I get to take it, take that at some point. You know, I'm more into the machines and the TIG welding process, but I do love filibrazing, and I would love to to get my hands on that some more. Oh again. yeah, I mean that guy is like just, I mean he's he's insane at filibrazing also, man. Like he he's got like what like five thousand bikes under his belt. You know, it's like yeah. you know that's something that that doesn't exist really anymore either. You know, like say for like a few kind of smaller slash big like production shops in the u.s building frames it's like unless you want to move to colorado you know east coast or portland like specifically for a job you know building bike frames for a bigger company and even then like you're not doing you're not I, most of them, them. I, I presume you're not you're not yeah you're you're not filibrating them uh you're welding them and you're also like probably only involved in one of the processes yeah you know um let's also talk about amigo frameworks so you moved to nashville two years ago and set up your own shop and you've been building bikes while doing a handful of other jobs and things making pretty yep. cool bikes uh where, where do you want to take that <laughs> What are some of the what are the some of the things you've been doing with that? I mean, it's a lot of filibraced bikes, but you've been doing more with TIG. Yeah, it's all steel. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think my my kind of plan for Amigo is, you know, like right now it's it's uh, a lot uh, less supplementary and more kind of the full time. Um, 
although I've, I've kind of gotten fortunate this last month to where like I, I'm probably going to be slowing down with that. But I think when I moved to Nashville, you know, it's like nobody really knew me. And I, I was kind of working on a, on a list of, of people that were in Chicago um, still and, and, and had known me, um, you know, cause I pretty much like only had like word of mouth customers, people that I rode bikes with or had met, you know, found out I built bikes, wanted them. Um, and, and, and so like moving to Nashville where I didn't know anybody, I, I started to realize like, man, okay, like maybe I should take this more seriously, like on the, the business side of things. Um, you know, get like full insurance, you know, um, you know, have a professional space that like clients can come to and, and see and like get business cards and, you know, on a website. And I'm still actually, I'm, I'm retooling my website right now to be more of a web store. And I guess we'll, we'll go into what my plan is with that. But yeah, I realized like, okay, like I can't, I can't rely on word of mouth to much smaller by community here. So it's like, I've pretty much like already met the like, you know, 40 fringe weirdos that would be into like custom bikes, you know, and they all like have already have custom bikes. So it's like, you know, kind of hard to sell on that. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, Oh, well, sorry, man. I already spent the 10,000 I can for this for five years, <laughs> you know, a bicycle. Yeah. Um, um, but it's, it's also like, you know, I, I think with like COVID too, like in this bike boom, like it, I've seen a lot more riders out there and a lot more people interested. So I think it, it'll kind of boom. And Nashville has been one of these cities, like with bike lanes, at least like if you build it, they will come like there are bike lanes in places where I'm like, there's a bike lane here. Like nobody even rides around. It's like crazy. They're just building them. They're just like building greenways, building bike lanes. And it's like such a good city to cycle in, but like nobody really cycles. It's crazy. Like there's, you know, besides like some weekend warriors and like the few weirdos like me that like to commute via bike and, and like, you know, do urban, urban riding, um, you know, but it, it, it has the potential for becoming like a pretty awesome city, um, for cycling. And, and so I look forward to that business wise, but, um, you know, like finding clients is always finding somebody to, to, uh, buy a bike is kind of always like I feel like has always been kind of the hardest part and the the part I've honestly like liked the least like I like the making I like figuring out how to make the bike um but I I I, I definitely like like you I'm like more of like a production nerd I want to like figure out how to make a lot of one thing at one time um which you know, it isn't really a model. I think that like a lot of smaller frame builders use. And, and so it's like, I, like, I, I kind of want to like shift into, and, and what I'm planning with, with Amigos just shift towards like doing like a, like a batch run, like pre-order type thing. Probably not even a pre-order. I'll probably just buy all the materials up front. You know, there's a lot of overhead there, but I feel like you know, through a web store, through like Instagram, like I've started to kind of, you know, build an, uh, an appreciation, more people outside of my own community have like started to like, you know, reach out about frames. Um, but I feel like the only way to like make it economical for me is instead of doing like one-off frames for people and like switching back and forth and saying like, 
all right, I'm building a mountain bike this week and a gravel bike that week. Like if I'm like, okay, I'm building five of these, you know, mountain bikes, uh, you know, who wants one, you know, and, and, you know, if you need custom sizing or here's a size chart, you know, then like, cool. Like I, I already have all the information I need, you know, and pick the color or they're all going to be the same color. Cause then I can get an even better deal through John, my painter. Um, you know, I, I feel like it, it economically makes sense for me to do that. And like, if all five don't get claimed right away, you know, and, and I have all the twos already, it's like, well, now I'm, I'm sitting on two bikes that like I just throw up on my web store and it's like, they're here for sale. You know, like as long as I sell, you know, two of them out of like a run of, you know, five to eight, like I've paid for my materials, uh-huh. you know, and, and, uh, you know, certainly there's like risk involved in that, but like most businesses run that way, you know? Yeah. And, you know, they, they do fine with it. And that's, that's how I'd like to run things. Uh, you know, I'd like to, you know, because I'm always like trying to come up with like new products and new, new, there's, there's new ideas popping in my head all, all the time. Like the slingshots, you know, was like, you know, like a Bart Simpson, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I was designing a yoke at the time and I was like, Oh, it looks like a slingshot. I'm like, Oh man, that'd be a cool way to make these. And it's like, yeah. So like I, you know, make slingshots and I'm, I'm designing like a rack, you know, and it's like, I want to just populate a web store and then yeah, probably still have to work like a couple of days a week somewhere else. And, yeah. and that's, that's totally fine with me. Like it keeps things interesting and it's like, yeah, like I could potentially make, you know, an extra $30,000 a year and still be able to like build bikes, you know, like, yeah, I think you know, if I built, <clears throat> go ahead. I was going to say, I think, probably the biggest like value proposition or whatever of uh the stock size or the you know already made now you can just buy it thing um you know there's trade-offs there there's pros and cons probably the biggest benefit is just that like there's no lead time for the customer they see it they buy it it ships they get it and they're on their way and that's just not the experience of buying a custom bike generally or a handmade bike is that usually it's kind of slow getting in the queue and then it's got to get made. And, you know, somebody's just telling me the other day about their custom bike. Uh, they, they bought a Meriwether that's been at paint since September or something. And I was just like, that's painful. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, it's just the nature of the bike industry, uh, delays happen and things just take long, even at the best of times. And, uh, I think Adam Sklar emphasizes that with his sweet spot sort of, uh, stock size frames Yeah, is that like, yeah. that is the main benefit. It's like, they come quickly. Like you can, you can order it and you can get it. And, and it's still a Sklar and it still has all of the, you know, design thoughtfulness and all the lessons he's learned and the cool chainstay yoke and yeah. just like the sexy fashion of his bikes and all those cool things. It's just not like made to measure and it's a mountain bike. Does it need to be made to measure? Sometimes yes, often no like save yourself the, the the painful weight and just get it when you want it and you know you can afford it yeah uh yeah i mean i, I look at i look at his stuff and like you know i definitely like marketing wise i mean and, and what he's doing is he's just playing it really smart and i yeah it's like i don't i might get bus driven for this but like i don't really think that like the majority of people need like a 
custom geo made to measure tailored bicycle you know like you're gonna have to even you know with a you know made to measure bike like you're gonna have to get fit to it afterwards you know there's still gonna be like you know adjustments in the spacers and perhaps like you know five millimeters here and fore and aft in the in the saddle and and your stem and it's just like i'm like could you fit on a large you know or medium probably you know like but you know like i i want to be able to offer like hey you know this is what the bike's gonna look like you know you're you're getting my bike like you're not telling me what you want like this is the color this is it's going to be a gravel bike and if you want a gravel bike it's it's a gravel bike and here's the basic geometry spec but like yeah if you're like incredibly tall or incredibly short and you don't feel like you fit in that range like at that point it's like not hard for me to customize the geometry you know like i don't think it takes that much time but when i'm like working with somebody where they're like yeah like i want i want my bike to do this and i want it to ride this way and like you know I wanted to do gravel races, but I also want to tour on it, you know, and it's like, it's like now you're coming up with all these variables and then you have to like, you know, you draw the geometry for them, you know, and it's, it's all one off. And there's just so much time involved in that process that like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, that's a lot of work on my end. And, and I, you know, I, I don't think at the end of the day, like with the price of, of the frame and fork or entire build, like I'm never really getting a lot of that back. Yeah, I did Uh, a bike for a friend of mine named Isaac. He became a friend through the process, which is cool. I didn't know him ahead of time, and and now we keep in touch over the years. But I made him like a touring sort of bike with full fenders and uh, dynamo front hub, segmented fork. This was, you know, four or five years ago. Cool bike. I really like it, and I like Isaac. But I learned through that process something I already sort of knew, which is just like some people hear custom and they're like oh all the bells and whistles which is a really good use of custom because you can integrate that stuff cleanly i think of people like brian chapman just like do a killer job of that but those details (laughs) when you start stacking all those details up fenders can be really slow especially if you're not like if it's not like the back of your hand where you know it inside and out and you can just throw them on thoughtlessly but you're engineering the whole process as you go and like cable routing for stuff like these wires and figuring like it just you can spend eternity on those kinds of things and so the difference between for instance like a old school straightforward road bike where the only variables are maybe like some of the angles and wall thicknesses and and you know top tube standover clearance and bottom bracket drop changing those things you can do that real quick uh, once you understand the inputs yeah. and the outputs and you know about bike design but like integrating different components doing research oh i can't buy that through this supplier i need to you know send emails and get set up with uh schmidt and like whatever and or or, or the uh what are those ones like the the, the pedaling hubs the <laughs> shimano step and all those different things like oh my god oh yeah yeah integrating like, that yeah. stuff is just opinion pinion boxes it's and, the coolest thing it's and a then really you got like a million disc brake standards too and it's like yeah. somebody's like i want it to be flat mount and i'm like well, it's going to be ISO, and then they're like, you know, now you're butting heads, and it's just like, okay, I don't want, I don't want it, yeah. you know, but, like I realized there were a lot of things that I didn't want to do for people, and I, I feel like in my early kind of building, I, I was just excited to build for people, so I just do whatever anybody asked me, 
and a lot of the bikes that I, I made, I, I felt like were shit and not what I wanted to see in a bike. Like, you know, like my mm-hmm. first bikes, you know, the first, the first custom bikes I fell in love with were like, yeah, like Megan names Rita, like moth attack and like tonic fab and like, you know, hunter cycles or it's like these like kind of big, like industrial looking stuff. And, and then here I was like building a lugged bike for a guy that I just like didn't, you know, cause he wanted lugs, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't really like it. I didn't really have a connection to it. And in fact, a lot of those first frames, they, they don't even, they didn't have like a name on them. It wasn't, you yeah. know, Amigo was like, when I was finally like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be serious about, you know, um, you know, kind of like my brand image. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean I'm doing like a bunch of, I'm not doing custom. I don't, I don't do custom for people. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the bike that, you know, uh, I want to build and it's going to be for the purpose, uh, you know, that, that you want, you know, riding wise. Um, but aesthetically it's going to like look how I want to design it and, and and if you don't want that, then you know, well, go buy go buy go buy the bike you want, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, no, and I mean, it, if you, you know, just make something that's desirable, that has the features and the specs and the the look and the feel yeah. and the buying experience that people want, and they just come to you and say like, "This is exactly what I want." I mean, that's kind of the ideal, I guess. And um, it's not easy, but yeah, yeah, I like modern bikes, man. I mean, I. <laughs> You, you, you've seen my vintage bike collection since COVID. I've pretty much sold everything, um, you know, just to tool up and also to, you know, you know, pay the mortgage. <laughs> but like, I also realized like, dude, I'm not retired and I've got all these like, you know, old man vintage bikes. And it's like, yeah, a lot of them were like built by like, you know, these guys that I looked up to like, and I've, I've kept the, the like super rare ones, you know, like, I've got like a Bayless painted, you know, Medici, like the third one they built, you know, and it's like, it's cool, but like, dude, I want to ride a modern bike, man. (laughs) You know, like I don't want to ride a bike that's even 10 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, why would you? So like, yeah, like I'm not going to build a bike, you know, uh, yeah. I mean with antiquated, you know, types of joinery and that kind of thing and i mean there are people that like that and i think that's cool and i i mean i appreciate it but i personally like yeah i want to i want some space age shit (laughs) yeah man so champ ramps let's talk about this uh oh man to the extent that you care to talk about it it is incredibly cool and um let's hear about it yeah uh okay uh, well, you know, when I moved to Nashville, like, uh, and one of the things you learned, we were talking about, you know, like certain areas have different industries, like here in Nashville, like it's like cabinet making and like carpentry, like a lot of event stuff. I mean, the capital of country music, you know? So it's like, there's events going on all the time, not now with COVID, but you know, like I, I ended up getting a job, uh, as a chipmunk, you know, running a CNC router, um, which isn't anything I ever planned on doing or like really, you know, really wanted to, you know, like I, I've, I've always been interested in, in, uh, CNT milling and, and, and metal manufacturing. Um, I, I don't like doing carpentry work. Um, but you know, it was a job and it was like super close to me and, 
you know, it was okay. Um, but you know, like once you kind of understand how CNCs work and you understand G code, it's like a, a lot of them are all pretty much the same, especially like in three axis routers, uh, laser machines and that kind of thing. There's water jets, like there's not much going on uh, that differs them machine to machine. So, you know, it's kind of easy to find a job like running one of those. And at least in the entertainment world, like they <laughs> pay better than like, say being a, a CNC button pusher. So I, I took that and, um, and uh, I made my own um, uh, half pipe transitions on a, uh, on the CNC router. And uh, you know, there are a couple of companies that, that offer that, like they offer like a flat pack half pipe kit or like, you know, uh, ramp kit. Um and I was like, man, I wonder if there's like anybody doing this for like bicycle specific stuff. And there, there are a few, um, uh, and it kind of got my gears moving and you know, it's, I'm designing a product from the ground up and I want it to be really good. So like I've, I've spent, I quit that job and I've spent like better part of the, like the year, like, uh, building bike frames. Uh, I was working part-time at a bar so that I could have the extra time to just sit in front of the computer and design, um, a, a kind of a modular pump track system. Yeah. So, um, as far as I'll go into like the stuff I'm offering, um, and, and, and the timeline, like I do actually have like an investor in this and, um, you know, we want to launch probably, uh, April. Um, but the idea is it's a, flat pack shipped to your door um pump track system uh it's plywood and right? uh, like three quarter yeah half it's inch a, or something. So it's three quarter it's a, it's a mix of, of dimensional sizes but it's um it's a ab marine grade plywood um i'm in my backyard right now like staring at them um and they're you know they've been sitting back here for the first prototypes uh, and I, and I've like gone in and redesigned them. Cause like, you know, once you cut the thing and you put it together, you like realize all the issues. Yeah. I, I took a sledgehammer to one. I, I drove a car on one. It's a you serious, know, like you want to test. It's a serious CAD project. You're doing stuff with oh, yeah. fusion that, uh, maybe if I spent enough time, I'd get there, but it, it's like complicated stuff that I don't, I don't think I could model that easily. They look really cool and they serve a really cool purpose, which is this thing ships to your door and then, uh, you know, Joe Sixpack can throw together some sick frickin' ramps in short order, and yeah. uh, you can you can start uh, tearing it up, man. Yeah, and, 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 like, you know, I've taken a lot of, like, the things that, like, uh, you've gleaned from, like, your business practice, you know, like, you know, like, there's a whole lot of, you know, I got to figure out logistics for shipping these things, you know. Um, you know, and I, I think, uh, you, you know, like, you got you to, gotta, like, not think about, you know, you like to say you don't market to, to your peers, you know, like, yeah, like I got to consider that this ramp is going to be in the hands of like, you know, a weekend warrior dad that probably like he can afford to buy this ramp system. Cause like, they're not cheap. Like the plywood is just so expensive. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a luxury product, but it's like, you know, this is a person that maybe doesn't have a lot of time. Maybe has never even used like a drill to screw something together you know, and maybe this is a project for, with their kid that their kid is going to, it's going to be the first time that they've ever even like used a drill. Like, and I'm trying to make it as like, 
easy to, to make and, and build and like fun, uh, along with having the, the like literature as well as like the guides to do all that. So like, you know, we're creating like YouTube videos, um, to like, you know, you get, you know, you open the package up. The first thing you see is like a schematic of it, but it's got a little QR code that then will go to a YouTube video that will show you how to build it. You know, like, you know, trying to think in your customer's shoes, I find it really fun and, and it, it's, it's, uh, difficult. Um, um, but it, it's really rewarding. And, um, yeah, that's, that's just like the, the business side of things. And then the CAD side of things is like, man, I, I have, uh, you know, my, one of the, uh, design parameters I had is that like to make these things cheap, it's gotta be made on a three axis router. So I, I can't do compound cuts. It's gotta be all 90 degree cuts when we're talking some of these shapes are you know uh require maybe a compound cut so i'm using like you know a lot of different planes and axes uh axes like in some of these designs to try and cheat it you know in a way because you know plywood will give you some give but like i've got to cheat you know the design to basically let me work around like using a router that will only cut in a in a 90 degree fashion Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, like, and also like limit as much post, you know, uh, machining work that I would have to do. Like in, yeah. in the perfect world, what I would like to do is I would like the machine to cut, drill all the holes, you know, basically do everything that needs to be done there. And all I have to do is then, you know, put it in a box or, you know, if you're buying a whole ramp system, I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, put it on a pallet and yeah you know, make sure all the hardware's there and like, cool, ship it to your door and, and, and it's ready to go. And, you know, the final quality check is really like what I'm, what I'm looking for. So it's like trying to build that system. Um, yeah, it's complicated. You know, it, it has been a lot and I don't want to like, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of have felt like, Oh, I should have like launched a little earlier. And it's like, I didn't really want to like launch before I felt like super confident in in every little kind of process and, and, yeah. uh, you know, we've gone back and forth about that. Cause like you, you started with just like making like one tool and like having it in the web store and that helps you at least like get capital. But, yeah. um, when I talked six know. months ago off air, just in a phone call to Carl strong about my frame fixture project, he was emphasizing to me, you know, the sort of minimum viable product idea, you know, just like, you just put it out there in the market, see who buys it, see what they say about it, see whether or not it works and use that data to inform where you take it. And that's good advice, and um, it's been hard for me <laughs> to finish my frame fixture and get it out any faster, just because I feel like one, you know, like once you sell it and it's out there uh, with a frame fixture, like that's a pretty high dollar item. And then I need all the like uh, head tube and bottom bracket adapters and stuff to be like backward compatible. And I just don't want to like leave somebody yeah. with an orphaned product that like was kind of half baked. Uh, and you know, it's a small community, so I don't want to like. Uh, suggest that the quality level of my stuff is not there or something so that one i i don't know there's an argument to be made for doing that more but i feel like it's a tough one to do yeah a minimum viable product like i did an early adopter one where i've told all those people like (laughs) you get the upgrades for free and that's kind of expensive so yeah with your product i do feel like you have the latitude to do that a little bit more like uh 
you know, you do want the web store to be uh, integrated and, and provide good like ship quoting for yeah. the stuff. And there's like a lot of things you need, but in the beginning, you know, to, to see like, to yeah. test your idea about who you think the actual customer is. And like, there's a lot of that stuff that can be done before the product is like at its final resting place. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I don't, uh, I, I'm not even, I'm not gonna lie to myself. I don't, I don't think like I could ever like even fully prepare. I don't think anybody can like fully prepare for what's going to happen. I just, you know, part of, you know, the reason figuring a lot of this stuff out with my business partner is just to be like, like, I, you know, like if, if it is popular, you know, like, it's like, I don't own, I don't own this, the CNC machine, you know, outright, you know, like yeah. I don't have like space, you know, to, to, you know, uh, to store these yet, you know, and it's just like, well, if I'm having trucks pick them up to be freighted, it's like, that's one of the first things I got to figure out. And yeah. there's this, that's I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like, uh, launch something and then be like, Oh shit. Oh fuck. Oh shit. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. running around, Absolutely. like tr trying to figure out like, Oh God, like now I've got 20 customers that are like, you know, like being like, well, what's up with this? You know? And it's like, you know, it's, and I, I think, I think in some cases, like, um, like, yeah, like I didn't want to be too hasty. And I think some, some people, you know, will come out with things and it's like, like, yeah, now you got a bunch of complaints and it's like, and mm -hmm. you just kind of like fucked your name up, you know, in a way. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I just, you know, like, and also like, man, dude, I like to, I talked to my mom about this idea and she was like, she was like right away. She's like, dude if I could have bought you and your brothers a fucking like a track, you know, for six grand and it meant you weren't going to the fucking, the dirt jumps to the skate park and getting high, you know, like and drunk, you know, at like 13, you know, and it kept you at home more. That would have like, you know, she's like, I would have spent that money. Like I couldn't afford it. I would go into debt for it. But it's like, it's like, yeah. And I, I wouldn't want somebody that's like, you know, I don't, I don't want like a parent that's like splurging on this thing for their kid and to have it like be fucking crap, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause it, it is, it's going to be, it's expensive. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have the skills, you're going to be able to make these yourself for way cheaper. You mm -hmm. know, it might not like look as like finalized and stuff like that. You know, like if you're a DIY person, I don't think, you know, at least for myself, speaking for myself, like <laughs> unless I know that the, the time is like, certainly going to you know uh, the dwarf the cost is definitely going to dwarf the time that i'm going to spend on something i'll buy it but you know like i'm a diyer like i'm going to make my own things you know like you know and once you have the skills you can do it relatively quickly and like certainly my market's not for the the diyer but um you know, like it, I want it to be a good product, you know, and, yep. and, and it's expensive just for the materials. And so, yeah, and sure. then the machining costs and that kind of thing. So it, it, in my mind, like when I'm like, fuck doing the math on it, it's like, yeah, like a little tabletop and, and two kickers is going to cost almost, you know, $800 when you could go to Home Depot and you could buy, you know, two by fours and, and cut the transitions yourself and probably build it for like a hundred you know, um, uh, it's in my mind, it's like hard to justify a product like that. But then I, like, I, I have to think, 
like my customer who's like valuing their time yeah. doesn't have those skills. Yeah, you're and, like, not, and that's like really important to do. Like, you're not your you customer, know? especially with something like that. No. You know, like, and and sometimes it's people. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you roll that out and you get customers who are guys who are like, oh yeah, I used to build all these ramps when I was a kid, and like now, like I just need like this is cool. Like I want this thing, and I. <laughs> Like, I want my kids yeah. to be able to ride this thing. Like, I'm busy, you know? Or this, like, it's all pre-engineered well, and it's nice. Yeah. I've built a lot of skate ramps, man. And, like, I finally, like, have figured out, like, what I think is, like, the, the sweet spot for, like, a, a little mini ramp, half pipe or, like, quarter pipe. Um, you know, but, like, yeah, there's a lot of dads out there, you know, you know, our uncles that, like, look at shit and they're, like... <laughs> I can make that, you know? And it's like, there's math involved, you know, like to get a transition right on like a pump track or, you know, on a, on a kicker ramp or, you know, half pipe, like you got to kind of know like how to skateboard or how to bike and, and what's going to feel right. And so like, you know, there's also that element. There's probably guys that have like built like their own like pump tracks and it's just like, damn it, I messed up this like transition and like now this thing wants to buck me or, you know, or it just is too slow. So like, there's a lot of that I've I've had to think about too, you know, and like, yeah, well, and hopefully you do, hopefully there are some, some of these quote dads and uncles who get inspired and they're like, I could do that. Like, well, that's awesome, man. Yeah. We need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, also realize how tough it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so that's, that's champ. And I'm, 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 you know, stay tuned for that. Um, champ I, I'm really hoping that that can be like, you know, cause like, I don't, you know, like it, it's hard to make money like, um, with your hands. Like, you know, you can only be as fast as your hands. And if you can employ a, a machine to do work for you and, and, you know, you, you're creating a, clever products, you know, and, you know, using machine tools to like help you make those faster. Yeah. Like, you know, you can just get to that economy of scale and like be able yeah. to like, I don't know, make, make a, make a better living than just like, you know, you know, doing fabrication, uh, yeah. you know, constantly. You're leveraging. Like, you know, like I don't, I don't want to build 50 frames a year, man. Like, yeah. It, like it, maybe at some point it was like, man, that, that would be super cool. Like, you know, when I was younger, but like, like, and I'm still really young. I turned 30 next week, but like, even then it's like, man, I want to like go ride my bike and like <laughs> not have to like be up like in my own shop till like 9 PM, you know, yeah. trying to just like crank out bikes. And, you know, it's always the little things too. Like when you're building bicycles, it's always like, the fucking brazons. They take they take so much time. Like so cutting long. tubes and stuff. Like like I like I set up I set up my little like hardened horizontal and like we cut out like you know five down tubes and then switch to top tubes and get my C tubes all notched and it's like cool like that's simple and then like you know with your bender like oh my god like bending chain stays and seat stays in batches is like so easy you know and just like crank them out and then tack them all together and it's like yeah all right now you're raising the frame together and there you go like yeah but then it's like oh my god now i've got a mountain of these like 
little fucking brazons I have to clean and you know that's mm-hmm. I feel like always I get to the just like ugh, yeah this I, is never fast <laughs> every time I had the front triangle together I'd be I'd be like breath of relief I'm halfway there and it's like no yeah. you're 20 percent there it's a long run yeah yeah no I always build from the back end forward because of that like I yeah. feel like oh sick I just got like my chances my bottom bracket done that's one of the harder areas all right throw that seat tube on there cool now let's put those seat stays and then it's like oh, oh yeah okay all i have to do is the front triangle and then it's easy. <laughs> um but yeah so i'm i'm hoping champ ramps can be and and you know like i i now i have a business partner you know like that mm-hmm. there's responsibility there and it's like they, they're gonna have expectations you know um he's on more of the marketing um and business side of things which is good because i've, I've never you know i I've, I figured out a business sense, but I've never been like extremely, uh, in, in, in my mind, like good at it. So like, he's going to help me with, you know, like I, I'm going to have to figure out liability on these things and, and you know, insurance and, and then logistics for shipping. And, and he's able to take, uh, you know, I'm not having to wear all the hats. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting to wear my hat where I'm good at figuring out the production side of things, figuring out the machining side of things and the design part of it. And, you know, I'm really hoping that like, cool. And I've got this other party that's holding me responsible. Like, like maybe we could actually make some, some decent money doing this. Like, and that would be cool, man. Like who doesn't want to like, I don't know, own a company where they build, they build ramps for some kids to have fun on. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like something Bart Simpson would do when he grew up. Hell yeah. <laughs> Cowabunga dude. Yeah. Cowabunga Wait, dude. Wait, no, he I'm says gonna, I'm gonna jump the, I'm gonna... I don't remember. Yeah. He also says Calabunga. Okay. Uh, he's going to jump the gorge, man. Yeah, Springfield he is. Gorge on his champ ramp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, instead of a gorge, uh, it's a champ ramp. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a sick project. That one, I think, is really cool because, you know, there's a lot of people that I know who are doing frame building, and I love that, and I think that's great. But the idea of, of this, I think, is more novel, and it's not – to me, it's not um, – like a dumb idea or something. You know, there's a lot of times you'll hear an idea and you're like, well, that's different, but like, I don't know. It's like this one, I'm like, yeah, this this is a good idea. I, I see this doing things. I think uh, yeah. I think people, and, and like, yeah, there's a lot of applications where I see this actually being a good idea. So I'm excited to see it come together. Cool, thanks, Joe. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the coaster break disc, coaster break, disc break, thing that you <laughs> you engineered and actually executed because again like i've yeah. said a lot of times on this show uh it's one thing to have an idea what ideas are kind of worthless but like to actually turn an idea into something in the real world is freaking cool uh, uh and you did that so you had this idea for a clunker coaster brake system that was actually hydraulic master cylinder on your crank set and a disc brake caliper on the rear wheel yeah yeah uh that would have been kicking around in my head for a while uh, a buddy of mine uh emerson he he worked at mission hills bikes um yeah we were always like into making like weird freak bikes out of that shop too like we we built like a bronco wheeled bike little small tall bikes like a ton of tall bikes um you know and actually that's where i feel like you know i i I really advanced in frame building was like just doing repairs and modifications. It's like, man, if you can't afford a tube set, but you've got an oxy torch, like 
start doing rack mounts on your friend's bikes and, you know, like start make a freak bike, you know, like you're going to like, those skills are like totally uh, transferable to like frame building, you know, like certainly you don't have to like have it at the same, like, um, you know, accuracy as you would want, like a, you know, a properly built frame, but like you also like just learn, you just have the tools in your hand, you know, like, and so like there was, you know, we would come up with like, you know, like retro directs and stuff. And there's always like wild ideas we had. And Emerson was like, what, like, what if we could create a coaster break that like, didn't use the coaster hub because like the coaster hubs like they're all cheap and like you know they blow apart and you know um you know there's there's guys doing like really cool things with them like using like heat sinks like monet or money yeah that's how you pronounce it money he just made a post about that (laughs) money bikes (laughs) yeah not monet come on um uh you know like uh, but like, I, I feel like, you know, you're also, you know, or if you're going to get it to fit into like, a uh, you know, not a coaster bike frame, it's like, you've got to either make spacers, you got to hack something to make the coaster brick work. So I was like, you know, I, know I, I had this idea kicking around my head. I was like, oh, okay, like you got to transfer the energy like from your crank. So like, maybe it's something integrated in the bottom bracket and, uh, you know, like, I don't know. COVID hit. I had a lot of like kind of more free time and, uh, I just like started thinking about it and, um, I just like kind of like, like had an epiphany where I was like, Oh dude, like a, well, like a freewheel, you know, it'll coast in one direction. And then, you know, when you kick back, it'll, it'll stop and you can transfer that power to then like an arm that could then, you know, push in, uh, a master cylinder it's like i knew enough about motorcycles i was like well you know a master cylinder on a rear brake on a motorcycle is just a foot pedal that like pushes in an arm mm-hmm. and i was like i bet i could i could find parts to um you know convert the motorcycle master cylinder to a regular brake caliper and but yeah it, you know it was like 40 dollars in parts and i like made this thing that had been like fucking you know tumbling around my head uh for like years yeah. And it was like, dude, this is so sick. I mean, granted, we were talking about dumb ideas. It's a dumb idea and it's hard to market. You know, like I would never want to make a product, but I'm like so glad that like I I did that. I, I made it work. It's fun. And like I just showed off the world and be like, hey, you know, someone out there, like you should do this too. Like it's fun. <laughs> you know, like it's so weird and niche and 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 dumb but it it is fun you know and it it works uh yeah it's just a master cylinder Uh, mounted on the non-drive chainstay with a freewheel on the non-drive crank and a little connector arm yeah so when you back pedal yeah and i've you know i've uh, i didn't i don't i don't have the time right now to go down the rabbit hole of trying to make it like like pro and even if i i did i'd probably only make like 10 you know but like yeah, like a master cylinder is like a pretty like, it, you know, you can use off the shelf parts and like, you know, either machine like your own little cylinder and I could make it smaller and more compact and then, or maybe use like a one-way bearing, um, you know, on a crank. There's some, some issues with that. Like you wouldn't want to like put the aluminum, uh, you wouldn't want to put the bearing like directly on the aluminum crank unless like you hard anodize it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, um or you, you'd have to like press on some sort of like brass bushing to then put your, your one way bearing onto, but you could make it like silent. Um, you know, 
I, I was emailing Alec White to about potentially like helping me like make a free will with only one tooth that has a hole in it, you know, to mm-hmm. so that I could I could just modify, uh, you know, get like Sean Handerhand or you to like modify a White Industries non-drive crank and make it all like integrated. Because that was the other thing is like the crank I used was from it's a it's a drive side crank for a trials bike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to use two right side pedals. So I like Loctite one pedal in. And, uh, you know, the, the crank arm I got was like, you know, like five mils shorter than the, the you know, the single uh, <laughs> uh, uh, drive side crank I had. Um, but like, yeah, I feel like you could, you know, easily machine and modify like a, a white industries crank to have a free wheel threading on it. Um, to then allow you to just put a standard free wheel on there. And then, you know, I, I ground down all the teeth on the free wheel and just had like one, one like little tooth left, uh, to like connect my, my cylinder arm to. And, you know, there's ways to like make that look cooler and sexier and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it'll happen. <laughs> it, it'll happen. I think, I think with anything, I, I, I realized like, you know, like it, it's just, it's, it's good to always just like, if you have the idea, like, don't try to make it perfect at first, like, yeah. you know, in your design process, you need to just like prototype it and like get the idea, like even just uh, alive and, and really yeah. there because like, you're going to find like a million things that like you needed to change. Like, yeah. even with the, like the little like cheapo system I made, like I had to like, you know, I learned that I couldn't like have the brake arm too tight or else it would bind up and that would kind of like make the brake, you know, uh, once you kick back on it, it would kind of lock up. Um, but I fixed that problem and, and it's like, okay, like now I'm getting somewhere with like, if I were to like refine this even further, like I know like things to look out for and that, that type of thing. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a product that I like even thought about bringing to the market and nor one that I think like really needs to like be like owned, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I was just really happy to like be like, dude, it's summer, it's COVID. <sighs> like, check out this stupid thing I made. <laughs> y- y- y'all, y'all should try it yourself too. Like, make it better. You know, like how you know, like that. I think that to me is so cool. Like, I don't yeah. even care if you know, twenty years down the line, somebody's like, oh yeah, the Jeff blah 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 invented this kickback coaster brake, and then being like, oh, that's true with me. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, it's like. I know what I did and like that guy made it better, you know, go make it better. Like if you think you can like make it better. Yeah. Cool. I this want, is I a, want, I want this is a challenge. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> make it better. And then yeah, give, it's a challenge. Give a hey, I'm challenging Zach. you, you weirdo bike people, coaster brake bike people to make it better. One problem uh, with the system on like a coaster brake uh, hub is you can't push the bike backwards, um, which sucks it locks up the wheel when you push it backwards so yeah. maybe figure out that problem um because i i realize like I, I i like to run my dog to the coffee shop on the bike um which is way too much energy um and i and i realized that like right away like i have a gate that only you know um my my uh, backyard gate only comes out one way so <laughs> i uh I realized pretty quickly when I had the dog leash in one hand and I'm like holding onto the bike and trying to open the gate all at the same time. And I can't push backwards. I'm like, Oh man, this is actually like, 
I thought this wasn't going to be an issue, but like, yeah, it's kind of annoying, you know, like if you got to, if you're riding it on like a trail or something and like you're trying to like push it backwards or something, you know, like, which I think would happen in the real world. Like, yeah, it doesn't do that. So yeah. make it better folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk at all about the project that you're working on now with uh, Mike? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I got a lot of like irons in the fire. Uh, <laughs> that is that is uh, you in a nutshell to me. It's like you have like a million cool projects and ideas going always, and like not enough bandwidth for them. Understandably. Yeah, I uh, I really do, like I I have um, tried to uh, like focus more um on i've been trying to like say no to things and say no to my my own brain honestly like i still got that project truck that like i haven't even touched but i'm like you know what i'm not even worrying about it because it's just like it's not gonna it doesn't do anything for me right now like i can commute to work via bike like you know it's it, it you know and i'm not picking up any other projects but like God damn, do I go on Facebook Marketplace and see like, you know, a motorcycle? I'm like, oh man, that'd be cool. Like, <laughs> you know, build a chopper. You know, like, I'm like, oh, you know, like, and then I'm like, stop it, Zach. No, <laughs> you do not have the time. You know, Bad and I'm like, <laughs> since since moving here, I've like slowly turned my like, you know, redneck backyard with chickens and stuff into like, you know, like, you know, a professional looking like shop that I'm I'm not afraid to like bring customers over and you know they like walk in and there's like five motorcycles you know like i've gotten rid of the motorcycles and and all that stuff um to focus on these things but yeah i i recently kind of got an offer I, I couldn't refuse by this man named uh mike hoagie um he's uh was and, and still in some capacity uh um works for uh like a super late model uh, NASCAR, um, cars, he, he built, he, he like in the past has like built them, um, and, you know, still manufactures parts for other guys for them. Uh, and he's got a shop out here, uh, east of here in, in, uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, uh, which is about a half an hour away. Um, but yeah, he is, uh, trying to start a titanium bicycle frame company, uh, and, and, a complete bike company and, and has hired me to help them design parts and design the frames and kind of create a manufacturing process for that. So um, we're making everything in, in house, uh, head tubes, bottom brackets, dropouts. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, and, and he's got all the equipment for that and the capital to kind of start, you know, like uh, a space age bike company and, he's a really talented engineer too. And, and, and he's shown me things that like he's designed and thoughts he's had on, on bikes that I've, I've just never seen before where I'm like, wow, like, he, you know, he's taking it from totally different, you know, uh, a, a total left field because like, he's not a bike guy, you know, like he's never been a bicycle guy. Like he loves everything on two wheels. Like he like worked for Husqvarna, I guess. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, an extremely talented engineer, um but like he's never worked with bicycles you know and so i'm kind of like picking up that side of things for him and helping him focus his knowledge into those areas so i think it's i think it's a really cool opportunity 
yeah, um, to be able to do that. And, you know, like I'm not working there full time right now. Um, but I, I I'll, I'll see how my role develops there. I, I, I can't imagine that I won't be working there full time at some point. Cause it, it's just, you know, it's a ton of work. We're basically doing what like I did for myself in the last 10 years in, you know, months, you know, and trying to create products that, you know, are, you know, and, and, and you know, create a, a brand along with that, which I think is, is probably one of the, is going to be one of the more complicated parts of it. Because, you know, like we're saying, like, you know, I, I feel like the quality of the product now has like almost become secondary to, you know, uh, the aesthetic of a product and, and how a customer sees themselves with something yeah. like if it's, it doesn't matter how advanced or how good the product is. If like it's ugly or, you know, it, it has like poor branding, like no one's going to want to buy it. You know, they'll, you know, they'll go buy a different bike that looks cooler, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of challenges there. Um, and, and, I, and I'm really excited to do that. Cause I like, you know, it's, I feel like it's like everything I do with Amigo, but like I'm I'm getting paid by him, and like I'm not the one having to like front everything, and and it's it's my favorite aspects of you know uh, designing and, and and making bikes. Like I, I won't even be, you know, he's got me practicing TIG welding, and he's gonna have me practice on titanium, so I'll learn how to do it, but. I'm not going to be his primary welder. He's got aerospace welders in the wing that are ready to work for him and have worked for him in the past making race car chassis. Yeah, that's so, awesome. It's pretty, dude, it's kind of like a dream job. I still am like kind of pinching myself. Like, you know, this is my, this will be my third week, you know, <laughs> I'm like, we're already, we're at lightning speed, man. Um, but, I, you know, stay tuned for that also. Like I'll, you know, the first prototype frame I'm building for myself is a mountain bike hardtail. Um, and you know, we're going to, you know, I'll, I'll post it on Amigo and tell you where to follow, uh, where to check it out. And, you know, I feel like it's, you know, it's cool. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm designing that geometry, like, you know, for this like crazy, you know, you know, uh, advanced tie frame, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it, it is weird too. Like I'm, I, I feel like I'm like, I was the guy in the, in the place at the right time, you know, like, I don't know if I'm like completely qualified to do this, but like, uh, I also like, I'm confident that like, you know, there's a learning curve there, but like, I'm excited to, to see where it goes. And, and, and I think I can, you know, especially with Mike's uh, tutelage, uh, be able to take it there. Uh, you know, like I'm just already learning so much more about CNT manufacturing um, than I already knew, you know, about, you know, welding, fixturing and that type of thing. Cause like, I mean, he's building, you know, race car chassis that, you know, it was funny. I, I mentioned, you know, like carbon forks having like flip chips in them. He's like, Oh yeah, we call those pills in the race car world. Like we've had those for years, like where they can change the camber of, you know, suspension by just flipping this little like chip, you know, it, that's it built into, you know, the, the, um, the the arms of the the i don't actually know the term yeah. i can't remember the term but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. like he's like yeah uh he's like yeah like and then he's like he's like showing me like you know you know these fixtures he's made to you know um 
that when you weld and like with the proper welding schedule, like you can have, you know, like a ball bearing in there, like turn like perfectly and, you know, deal with distortion and that kind of thing. And I think he's going to bring a lot to, a lot to the bicycle world. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's badass. It sounds like a really, really cool job. And the kind of thing that, uh, I think a lot of people in the bike industry would like kill for an opportunity to, you know, to get into a place oh, like absolutely, that. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. the access to the machines and the knowledge and just to spend your time getting paid to do cool bike stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like, shoot, he's, like, had me make, like, you know, he's running other businesses out of there, and he's, like, had me, you know, make something for, you know, his other business. And it's like, oh, boo-hoo, like, I got to, like, turn, a, like, a part for a race car today. <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, no, like, you know, and, yeah, and awesome. uh yeah, it's it's just a it's, it's an extremely unique opportunity. I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, putting a full plate on myself for 2021. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it uh, uh, for sure. And I I hope to see all of it come into fruition. Yeah, me too, man. Um, yeah, that's that's what's cool about Instagram. You just you know you live vicariously through everyone and get to see like exactly what everyone's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so cool man yeah. well we're just coming up on the three hour mark so I think we should cut it I think we covered all the things on the list more or less and uh, I but, learned a fair amount of things about your history and it's just good talking as always thanks for coming on the show yeah, man yeah for sure thanks thanks Joe keep um, on rocking yeah, really appreciate in the it. free world keep on making yeah, those dude, sick and, sick bikes yeah and I, man like thanks for the opportunity and also like man i i just think it's really cool like that you're you're doing this you know like it, it, it it's it's badass and you know like yeah you keep on keeping what you're, you're doing because man you're, you're killing it so thanks man I'm, I'm glad to call you a friend and you know uh yeah thank you yeah for sure uh cool. it's cold it's winter i'll uh one of these days i'm just gonna i'm just gonna shut her down for a weekend and i'm just gonna head to nashville yeah we're going to ride some bikes in the woods. Hey, come it's going to be a man. good time. Yeah. Well, hockey talk, brother. Yeah, Get you some boots and a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I need that in my life. All right. See ya. All right. Have a good one, Joe.